Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Watching Session. I'm your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Shocked, concussed, confused, rattled, and all kinds of other adjectives to describe my state of me- my state of mind after watching this episode. So, when they said that they were this was the last season, I knew they were going to kill Logan. That was always the plan that Logan was going to die. I didn't expect it this fast. I didn't. I wasn't prepared for how skillfully they were going to do it. I, I texted you multiple times that mm-hmm. I was frustrated about how much I cared about Logan. Like, of course you should, I mean, you shouldn't like any, you shouldn't jeer anybody dying. I don't think, but he's a special son of a bitch. He's a real died. fucking shithead. And, and I just was a mess during the episode. I was just crying and bawling and um, just really emotionally impacted by the episode. I thought it was one of the seminal moments of, like an HBO show. Like, I think you could put oh, yeah. it in a top five, top seven type list of moments on an HBO show because the way they did it was completely shocking. It apparently really didn't leak and nobody knew this was coming this episode. And, you know, I think it's up, to, I, I, you know, it, it might not be quite killing Omar on the wire, but it's, it's up there. It's close. It's continuing a tradition of HBO having very memorable quality episodes involving people dying in or about weddings. So we should have maybe seen that coming in terms of HBO's tendency to do that. But as an episode of television, it was stellar. I mean, this is there are going to be people who talk about this episode for years to come. And this factors into the discussion we've always had about should a show end at the top of its game early or should it continue later? I feel like this show is just offering itself as a wonderful example of a show ending at the top of its game can be a magical thing. This is the last season. They can do whatever they want, and they're at the top of their acting, at the top of their writing, and everybody cares to an 11, and it's working out beautifully for what is going to prove to be what... I mean, this has gone past even water-cooler television. I'm, I was getting calls people asking where I was when I watched it. Yeah, that's what I got, too. I got a lot of, like, JFK assassination-type memories with it. Like, oh, where were you? Were you, you know, did you... Did you I got this question and I, and I asked this question a lot. Like, when did you know it was real? Yeah. Which me and you, you we'll, we'll talk about. And I got different answers from different people, of course. But yeah, they did a wonderful job. I think that it's probably the best portrayal on television I've ever seen of what a sudden death looks like to people around a sudden death. It was death. so real. It felt so authentic in terms of watching their reactions, watching the confusion, the second guessing, the uncertainty, people looking to just someone who offers some measure of authority to help guide you through this shit. It, it, there was no element of artificial attached to this. Even a lot of the, they're like, you know, very intelligent, very strange dialogue they like to do faded away so quickly as the characters are going through this, even show that the, for the characters, it's something they put on. We got to see real people, real suffering here. At least it felt that way, and it was excellently performed and excellently delivered. Yeah, I think it was. You know, it's just one. You know, it's a wonderful episode of television because it made me care. It felt real. It showed the sort of nitty gritty and sort of the the dirty mm-hmm. of what it happens when someone, you know, dies in this type of fashion. Where I don't think the fact that like Logan could be an ill health is that shocking to them he had had a stroke four years ago he is 84 but it was still a surprise that it happened this day and and all this all the apparatus around it it just felt exactly you know if you've ever dealt with this like in your personal life with like somebody just kind of dying and it being a surprise this is kind of how it goes you know and i've pulled up the the different stages of grief here because i actually believe that they 
kind of followed that a little bit for a mm-hmm. lot of the characters. If, if you don't know the five stages of grief or denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, we got a lot of denial. We got a lot of anger, got a lot of bargaining. We got depression toward the end. And I don't think we got, we, we may have got some shots of acceptance this episode, but we certainly got a lot of the first four. I, I would agree. I think they followed it. It's a testament to quality writing of where you can have a, a, so effective a concept of the character that you can place them in a completely novel situation and it feels real and you can almost think or predict or want to analyze about where that character is now going to go confronted by that situation. And for every one of these characters, it was just fascinating to say, to think, how would Shiv deal with this situation and watch it unfold? How would Roman process this? How would Kendall try to rise above? All of that was so excellently done. And a lot of that was done through what stages of the five what points of the five stages they were at in any given moment okay well we, as we go through this episode we'll do our our normal sort of repertoire here on line of succession we'll go through a recap which i will lead we'll go beat by beat through the episode and we'll talk about a uh, best line of the episode reagan reagan with tweaks might might reagan be up tweaks. there reagan with tweaks be up might there. be up there They'll be fighting for it and then we'll do spencer's relationship advice of the episode there there's roy of the episode too which we could consider but this doesn't feel like the type of episode that that segment is particularly important right because like the point of that episode was it's all crabs in a barrel it's all the kids mm. trying to get over on logan logan trying to get over the kids that kind of went away for an episode i i think it happened this early in the season because more of that is to come Later, we're going to get a lot more episodes of that. We can do Roy the episode if you want, but I don't think that segment was really built for an episode like this. I, I, I think that's a fun point perspective, and it brings up that them doing this this early, avoiding the third episode, of, avoiding the tendency of appointment television of the important thing happens at episode eight or episode nine, so everyone can build up for it. It has the wonderful effect of just leaving the audience second guessing on their toes, unsettled for the entirety of the season to come, of where. They've pulled the trigger we were all expecting was going to be the final act. Now we're just left constantly uncertain, second-guessing, adrift in terms of just where they will go from here. We are a captive audience in a way they otherwise couldn't achieve if they followed the usual structure of leaving this to the end. You know, I felt like they... I didn't think they were going to do it in episode eight or nine. I didn't know. I didn't know three would be. They would do it quite as early as three, but I didn't think eight or nine made sense because so much of what they've been building toward is what will happen when Logan dies, when he, or he quits, right? And and the sure. the the thing that we got in this episode and we've gotten over the last four years is he was going to die at the desk. He was going to die at his job. He was not going to quit. Mm-hmm. Even the cell, which I do think he was pretty serious about, was for. Not for ATN. He carved out ATN. He was going to sit there and work at ATN. So he was going to always work. So this idea that he was going to step away and then we could get that succession battle when he leaves, that was never going to happen. So they had to kill him. Mm-hmm. They did it a little earlier than I thought. If I had had to peg it, I'd have said maybe episode six. But they were always building toward what happens after. And so mm-hmm. now we get that for, what, seven episodes, which will be just fascinating. Um, any other opening thoughts on that episode before we jump into recap? Let's get going. All right. We jump into, we start with Logan. Still very much alive at the start of this episode. Talking to Roman. Logan tells Roman he needs to go see the suite with him. He's talking on the phone to him. He says, get inside this. Come on. He likes you. You'll keep it light. This goes to what you were talking about, about Roman, how you thought he was missing Roman a little bit because Roman was able to tell jokes, keep things light in the room. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helped Logan because that is not his strong point. Not at all. He's, he, 
now that Roman appears to be back in his camp, he's trying to make him intimately involved with the next steps, what he's doing, if, if, no other purpose than for company, but also maybe to get in a bit of an edge on Matson. But he has a bit of a price with respect to it, a pound of flesh that Roman has to offer before he can get there. Roman mentions Connor's wedding, and uh, <laughs> Logan just turns to, to Carrie uh, and says, we, we got him some Napoleon, Napoleon Josephine letters. Which I'm sure he'd like, but it's very abundantly clear at the start of this episode that what he really wanted was his dad to go to his wedding. He I, I, really wanted that. I, he very much did, but I do love how utterly flippant people these people are with what are artifacts of history. The Napoleon Josephine letters are just like preserved in museums as being love letters between the most powerful people in the world and his first wife. It's like, and yeah, like we 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 got him one of those for his wedding. Well, when you got like twenty billion dollars, I mean, buy the museum. That might be a million bucks. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, Logan then goes on to say he's uncomfortable with Jerry, how she's handled things on the DOJ number on the spinoff. I think we want to let her go. Roman hums and haws and, and says, let's discuss. Logan then says he wants Roman to tell her. He says, it'll be nicer coming from you. You two, you were close. Now, he got the he got the phrasing right there. They were close. I'm not sure that Roman and Jerry are that close anymore. Roman clearly doesn't like this. He's, and then finally Logan snaps and says, are you with me? You weren't just fucking me around. We'll make it tidy afterwards. Just give her the word today. When he says, make it tidy afterwards. I think that's the, that's the Pair stuff off. your mouse with gold that, that Roman mentions later in the episode. Very much so. Is this, Jerry thinks later that this is a pun, this is a punishment for her because Roman showed her a penis. And now Logan's uncomfortable with that and trying to just get her out of the equation because of that. Is this, Maybe she's right, maybe she's wrong. Is this also just a purposeful punishment or test of Roman by, by Logan? Yeah, he he certainly does a lot of different things with each individual action, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there was a reason they showed us in the recap. Roman pushing back on the idea of firing Jerry right after the event happened. Yes. Because we had that line where he goes, I really don't think we should fire her because she received pictures of my, my dick. Like... Mm-hmm. I think they showed us that to show that Logan was always after that happened, Logan had an eye to get Jerry out of there. Exactly. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised Logan piece of shit that he is. I wouldn't be surprised if Logan somehow felt that was her fault. She was like asking for it or soliciting it or, or whatever. I mean, he seems like just a, just a fucking creep who wouldn't understand that what Roman did was just straight up sexual harassment. I mean, given Logan's prior covering for what was his name wasn't actually Mo. But, you know, Mo Lester, the guy who previously ran Cruz. Mo Lester. Crimes and all that. Um, that may well just be Logan's kind of, you know, flippant mindset of it. Like, oh, well, yeah, this this happened. Well, let's make sure let's make sure the woman's out of the equation. Cut to the wedding. There's a real old school band there. Guys with USA tuxes on. Spencer's got one of those. He's going to bring that down to New Orleans this oh, week. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to wear it to our friend's wedding. Yeah, Spencer's coming to New Orleans this week with me. I can't wait to see him in his USA tux. Tom and Greg are talking. Greg is asking uh, this question to someone. Mm-hmm. He says uh, he, doesn't, he definitely doesn't want me coming with you guys. So one thing that I always find funny, of course, this is the last time this will happen. Is anytime mm-hmm. Logan was doing these big trips, everybody was always scrambling to figure out who was going to be invited because it was they like a power play. List. Yeah. yeah. And then Tom says, Greg, it's not your fault. He finds you visually aggravating. Greg, visually aggravating? He's so petty. Look at Greg. He says he's so petty. Do you have all the support you need for Sweden? Look at Greg being a good employee. Yes. And Tom specifically, do you have everything you need? What? 
do we think Tom's full of shit here? I mean, Tom's framing this as that he's pissed at you because you were the one who told Carrie that she sucked. That's how Tom's framing it. Is Tom just making this shit up right now, or is no. Logan actually pissed at all? I got the impression that he was he that 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 Carrie had informed Logan of this, and that Logan because I mean it. Let's play it out. Do you really think Carrie's not going to immediately go to Logan after that conversation? Of course she is. That's her only play. Yes. And if Logan hears that Greg delivered this news and it's not necessarily the news he wanted to hear. And he was, he was kind of slow playing this with Tom because he wanted this to be deft. He wanted this to be like, yeah, let's just like, let's shelve her for a little bit, make her happy. Mm. He didn't, the last thing he wanted is somebody coming to her and saying, Hey, your tape fucking sucked and have her explode. That's what he was trying to avoid. So of course he'd be pissed. Uh, Whether he's, whether he's actually pissed or not, he would have to indicate that he was pissed to try to de-ruffle Carrie's feathers. And so Greg obviously needs to be on the shit, shit list for that reason, even if, he, even if he does think that it was appropriate that, she, that Carrie got the message. Tom tells Greg, I've got three people gregging for me. Yeah, I roped in a few mini Gregs, a little Greglet. This is what Spencer says about me when we're, he's doing different podcasts. He goes, I got, I got a couple Lees that are just doing yeah. the recap for me while so, the moneymaker comes in with the haymaker lines. I refer to them as Leelings. So, you know, to keep some leelings around at all hours. It's pretty good. It sounds like an animal, a leeling. Um, Greg asked him why he has all these little Greggies running around. So Greg immediately gets, you know, a little paranoid about that. Greg leaves the scene. Willa is telling, I think this is Willa's mother, correct? It is. And she's an interesting character for us to get. Well, we, we saw her, I think, for the first time last episode. And now we're getting to spend a little more time with her this episode. And she's interesting. She's I she says the boat leaves in 30 minutes, champagnes and canopy. She's going through the whole list of like what's going to be happening. She's enjoying the luxury that they're now exposed to. Champagne and canapes. You ever had that course at a wedding or any event? I can't say I have, no. I would think maybe some firm function. Maybe you'll have that at some point. That's... I, I don't go to those. They're social events. Well, sometimes they make you. We've talked about this on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Sometimes you have to go to things. Champagne and canapes. I, you know what I think? If I had to be honest with you. C and C. I think that I think it's an alliteration thing. I don't mm. think the two things really go together. I think people just get cutesy with names. Very possible. Some things that are more substantial later will be happening. He says, um, she says that, uh, there, I'm sorry, the woman, the, the mother uh, mm. of Willa says that it looks like she looks like a princess. Willa says it's not exactly what they expected, but the older lady cuts her off there and says, he'll look after you. Up comes Connor. He pretends not to look at Willow. Willow pretends not to look at him. Did you get the sense in that scene that Willow was reading, like reading lines? I'm not talking about the actress. I'm talking about Willow was reading like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to see you right now. It, 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 that felt a little bit put on. That felt a little bit yes. theatrical. Yes. She was just doing this to play gate Connor. Yes. And Connor then saddles up to the table next to the mother. Now this is a very interesting comment to the groom from the mother. Look at all the young people. It's like, she almost. Ooh. It was like she was talking with a peer. It's like yes. she was talking with you know some. We're 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 buddy buddy because we're the same generation. We can look. We can comment on everyone else who's younger than us. Heck of a line from the mother of the bride to the groom. He said he heard a few of them complaining about the rich. She said they don't mind the taste of your champagne. How about this? Mm. How about this delusional line from fucking. Uh, Connor Scrooge happened to be a major wealth creator. They don't mention that in Mr. Dickens books, do they? <laughs> yeah, I can say that Charles Dickens, that was not the focus of his memorable text, the Christmas Carol. I love it. I love when rich people do this when they're like, well, you know, my mere ex- trickle down economics, my mere existence should be thanked because, you know, I have a bunch of money and I spend it. And then, uh, you know, that 
puts money places. So therefore I should just be held up as, as the great, it's so fucking delusional. And I, I love that Connor plays right into it because as, as different as he is from the family, he's still a rich guy. Yeah. I heard some people online saying, Oh, Connor's just being sarcastic. I'm like, if no. it was anyone other than Connor, maybe, but Connor, I don't, I, I have a harder time thinking that was meant to be a jokey, sarcastic line with the mother of the bride. Okay, so let's do the the draft of the other kids that would potentially say this. I think I think number one has to be Kendall. This could have been something Kendall said in the right mood. Yeah, sure. Kendall would legitimately believe it too. Yeah, Roman too, but he'd be kidding. I don't think I'd ever hear this come out of Shiv's mouth. Shiv would be too, you know, self aware, woman wearing a liberal suit kind of thing to ever say something like that. Right, but you know, when they're all together after a couple of drinks, they're going to say stu- they're going to say st- stupid shit like, "Well, everybody should be thanking us for all of our money." Cut to Logan showing up. Um, Tom greets him as uh, Loganus Maximus, Slayer of Vikings. <laughs> little little moment there between the two of them. He's going Roman. Romans didn't fight the Vikings that much, except maybe an Eastern Roman Empire, but that was after they'd already transitioned to Greek. But I, I see what you're going with. I see what you're going with, Tom. No, the the Vikings were fought a lot by the Saxons. Yes, who would have used Latin England. more in religious ritual setting rather than language. And the English, they they fought all up and down Northumbria, Saxon. They all fought yeah. the Danes. I now, think you've seen a show on this point now. Now I'm really educated about this because I watched The Last Kingdom recently. So yes, let me go, let me go long form about this part of history. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. We'll talk. <laughs> Logan asks what he has on Madsen for him, and Tom. I think Tom gives him good advice here. He's just playing hardball, but everyone still says he wants to deal. Still a little bit of grumbles about the ATN carve out. Logan says not on the table. Logan says. Um, Logan says it's not on the table, and then Tom says he's playing tough. But if there was no upside, he wouldn't making the t- he wouldn't be making the time, which I think is a really good point. Like <clears throat> Matson doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to have him fly all the way to Sweden, waste his time if he's not going to budge at all. It, it, it's interesting. We see several characters debate, and during the period where it still matters whether the deal is going forward, and Tom is the most positive of the people we hear about the chances, and he frames it with this: we wouldn't even be having this meeting if there wasn't a chance. Logan says, today is the day I talked to Sid, Sid Peach, who is the, I believe, head, head. of head of news. So she actually runs the mm-hmm. content at ATN. I think Tom is more of a managing business operations type guy. I think that's accurate. Uh, and Jerry, find out when he's done it. Carolina. Carolina comes up. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, what's like a, what's a good example of like the sort of servile, like, oh, yes, master character. That's what I'm going to do with Carolina the rest you're, of the fucking You're going, you're going for like an Igor and Frank. And Igor. Kind of, there you or, go. That's or, what Carolina is. Or, or, or Rinfeld for, from a Dracula kind of thing. But oh, yeah, that kind of oh. obsequious servant. Oh, why don't we draft a statement? We could work right now. Uh, now seems like a good time to work when someone has died 12 feet away from us. Uh, so Logan talks about hanging cruises around Jerry's neck. Tom says the message is she took her eye off the ball, which, I mean, this is all bullshit. They're they're looking for a narrative where Logan's decided to do something and they're now scrambling to play catch up to explain it. And it's because Roman sent him his dick, right? Like, I can't figure out anything else she did other than it does seem that Logan periodically fires and rehires these people. He did it to Frank in season two, I believe. He did, I think he did it episode one of season one. He's done it a few times but for that guy. The higher back is too, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I, I think it's it's difficult to read with him before. He's been very hostile to Jerry now pretty much every time they've interacted this season. But the reason for that 
mean, the, the, the point, the point of data we have where you've been talking about firing her since, since she saw Roman's penis. So I don't think Jerry's wrong to kind of jump to look to that as being a possible explanation. Cause even though he was going after her with respect to Matson, she didn't do anything. He was just hitting her on that topic. Like he was looking for to like to set a narrative. Yeah. He was just angry with her. So then we get this, which turns out to be the last line we ever hear from Logan on screen during the television show succession. And what's so great about it is that you'd never fucking know it was his last line. It was like any other thing that he said, any other time that he had, it just mm-hmm. feels like a normal day in the life Tuesday. of Logan. And honestly, like, that's fucking, I mean, that's how these things go. Like yeah. you think like somebody drops dead like this and then you, you think back or dies in a car wreck or whatever. And you go back and think, what was the last line? And it's always something fucking inane. It's never like some grand statement. I, I love also when like most people have tried to make their last line, something, you know, meaningful and important and that it didn't work. Like Roald Dahl had this like meaningful line to his family about, you know, the only thing I regret is that I'm, I will miss you all so very much. And then he, calmly just settled in to die and then a doctor poked him with like some morphine to help him and so his last words actually were oh fuck that was the last the last thing he actually said what people really say is just something that is just part of their day their their experience the meaningful lines are set up for histories i hope my last line is something really fucking great like um my granddad he had he had surgery when he was like 80 he died not too long after that but um very famously in our family he came out of the anesthesia yeah after this really major surgery on his liver and he looked at the nurse and said does your does your boyfriend know how pretty you are now he doesn't know the nurse so this is a fishing on the boyfriend thing that he just defaulted to he doesn't didn't remember it obviously but this is what he did out of anesthesia very famous sort of line you also had the like the reagan um i forgot the duck when he was shot i kind of hope i have one of those but i hope it's not quite so grandiose i hope it's something like can I have a sandwich? Um, <laughs> you know, a any really jello? Like I, maybe I'm 95 and I'm like, I don't like green jello. And that's my last line. I dropped dead after. I don't like the you, green jello. You know what, what I want my last line to be? Go ahead. Fire away. You know what? I had a really good day. And just have that be my last line. I think that'd be a, a delightful way to go. You know, I, I'll bet you what your last line is going to be is going to be some iteration of, oh, I'll do that later. Good God. No, don't put that on me. That's too accurate. Don't Ah. do that. (laughs) So here's his last slide. Clean out the stalls. Strategic refocus. A bit more fucking aggressive. Which is such a Logan last line. It's something he said almost every day of his life. Yeah. It's just a normal fucking day in the life. Tom says, you push Sid. Roman knifes Jerry. All in a day's work. And that's the last time we see Logan alive. Boom, boom. Cut to the wedding. Shiv comes up to Roman. She asks him about Matson. Are you all right? Fuck you. I'm great. I'm fine. He is obviously not okay. He is obviously emotionally struggling in the way, in the manner that Roman can on the subject of what his dad has ordered him to do. The she's, knife, Jerry. Uh, she's like, fuck, I'm just asking. Jesus. And he says, I'm fine. Let's just enjoy this Shia marriage death of romance. It's going to be great. <laughs> I, I love Shiv's reaction. To it. It's like, dude, I know this is how we normally talk, but maybe not now. Just like dial it back. What are you doing? Roman is getting a phone call. It's Tom. He's asking Roman if he's done. Yeah. Are you going to do it? Yes, I'm going to do it. Back off, inflatable thicky dick. So he's, I mean, this is, this is Logan, right? Like, hey, Spencer, uh, could you, you know, call so-and-so for me? Sure. You hang the phone up. Before you can pick the phone back up, the phone is rigging. 
Hey, Spencer, have you done it? Like, this is how Logan would manage people. A loyal child would have done it already. Roman comes up to Jerry and says hello to her. She still has Martin around. So she's still got her boyfriend around. He says, she Mm -hmm. says, what? No stupid joke. And you notice how she just has this code with Martin as soon as Roman comes up. It's like, like it's a quick little, yeah, touch the nose, touch the, uh, the, the brow. Yeah, he's like fading back into the wall, just like, and I disappear. Yeah, she says, what? No stupid jokes about Martin? Just something disgusting about dicks or maybe vaginas? Roman says, look, be nice. Jerry picks up on that. She says, wait, 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 wait. What's going on? Roman's not nice. What? Why are you looking at me like that? What's going on, Roman? He says, you make me you know, weird. It's you know and fully intend. Let's talk later. It's like 30 or something. We we, we should have to chat. So... Her, 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 every every possible sonar ping she could have is now getting hit, hit right now in terms of obviously this is not the normal Roman and how he carries himself. They go back and forth. Roman keeps trying to do it later. Finally, he says, well, you can no doubt tell from looking at me. It's not great. And that's when you know they're going to have the conversation. And she says, is this why I'm not going to Europe? What the fuck? Like she, again, they, they all go back to that. They're like, ah, shit, I didn't get that. I didn't get the overseas trip. Something's wrong. It's, it's also the fault reaction they always have is that I've put in decades of my life and this is how Logan treats me. And they all seem surprised. They all seem like it couldn't happen to me, despite knowing this is just how Logan treats all of his inner circle. I've got a question. When they do this overseas trip like this, right? Yeah. And he's he's bringing a lot of people on this plate. I mean, there's there's Carolina, Frank, Carl. eight, Eight Greggies on there, too. Yeah, I did a bunch of Greggies up front. Jer, uh, Carrie is there. There's a bunch of people in the play. Let's say there's 20. Let's say he's bringing 20. When they get there and they're going to talk to Matson, they have, they have, some, have to stay somewhere. I'm guessing they all stay at the same hotel. Do you think he springs for sweets for certain people? Or do you think it's just, do you think there's a cheap out factor? Because like Jerry, Carl, Frank, those three are pretty high up in that company. I mean, they interact with the board and whatnot. Do you think they immediately get sweets? That is an interesting question to ask. I, would, I was almost assuming they would just like rent out a hotel in terms of just how they travel. But I don't know that. I could I could picture Logan being an utter cheap, another cheapskate with it. Though that would assume that he even is involved to any degree in the arranging of the hotel or just has other people do that. I'd be very disappointed if at least the three of those, Jerry, Carl, Frank, if there's not at least a couch in that fucking hotel room, it can't be, it can't be a bed desk situation, <laughs> right? Gotta be a couch. You're, you're going to give them a proper studio hotel room. I think they, I think they get suites. I don't know. I just am interested in all the little details about how they would travel, right? Like, you know, do they get a private car service if, if Jerry is traveling away from Logan, right? Like would the expectation be a private car service or does she have to taxi or Uber? I don't know. These are things I wish I knew. Carl's got to have the best one because he's got to, have, you know, he's going to have other people coming by later. <laughs> Carl, yeah, Carl. Carl's got like the you know the guy there standing there with the sign that says Carl. Yeah, at the it's like, airport and going that way. Yeah, nobody's ever done that to a private plane before, but that's what Carl gets. It's the guy standing there. Carl, <laughs> we got a plane. We got a car for you. you your, uh, your your arrangements are will, will be there for you. Jerry says, or no, uh, Roman says, I did not intend to talk about this right now. I guess he's just unhappy about how long it took you to settle with the DOJ. He's trying to adhere to the narrative. Jerry immediately calls bullshit on that. Roman then tries something about the amount of the fine, which they both know is bullshit. Jerry says this line. I wonder if you've ever heard it in your profession before. I danced us through a fucking thunderstorm without getting wet. That seems like a thing lawyers say. I haven't. I'm going to use that. I'm writing that one down for later use. 
That's such a great lawyer line. I danced this through a fucking thunderstorm without us getting wet. I mean, if there is, if there's not a more perfect lawyer perspective in terms of how they, they would describe their perfection. I don't think I've ever heard a better one. Roman then says, well, maybe he just lost his confidence. And she asks if she lost his confidence when he sent her repeated pictures of his genitalia. Roman tries to dismiss that in a very, very poor look from Roman. Now, I don't dislike Roman outright, but this is awful. He's, he calls it reductive. That is so when you, oh my God, it makes me so angry because like she, like, first off, it takes courage to even bring that up. Right. Because like she, I'm sure she's thinking that that's the reason. Yeah, it's she, uncomfortable. She, she's having to, she's having to say it right to the guy who did it to, to who, who actually sexually harassed her. She has to say it to that guy. And then he calls it fucking reductive. He calls it, yeah, don't be so stupid and reductive. It's like, you son of a bitch. She's talking about that you were the cause of her losing her job. Ignoring all of the harassment that went in there beforehand and the complicated nature of what the hell their relationship is. He tells her that she can go legal if she wants. You can go legal if you want. Like, you know, like, that's a, that's one way you can go. But they're going to have, we're going to stuff your mouth with a lot of fucking gold. I am like on a human level, like sad, but like, I'm oh, yeah. s- I am sorry. Level. She says, I'm good. I'm fine. This is nothing at all. Thank you for your consideration. I do think Roman, or I do think Jerry was going to lawyer up here. The I, way absolutely. she responded there made me think, okay, well, you're going to hear about we, this. We've talked before about Jerry being the person with the plan. Jerry being the one most likely to have a strategy in terms of what they would, you know, what the next three steps would be. I would find it legitimately surprising if she doesn't have a Logan fired me. Here's the attorney I call and here's the grounds I'm suing on just pre-planned. Oh, like a, like the husband who, who has been cheating for years and years and has the backpack ready. Like just as soon as she finds this, finds the text, here's the backpack. Here's the, here's the hotel. Here's where I'm going. Yeah. Like she's got little cubbies for different situations. And one of them is just labeled Logan is an asshole and everything is there ready to go. Yeah. Your, your audio kind of went out there for a second, a minute ago, but you're back now. You're back here right. with us. We're all good. Um, I just want to acknowledge that. Cause I know when I'm listening on a podcast and like the audio gets weird and the host never say anything about it. I'm like, was that just me? Was that my fucking strange phone or what? This was me and my overly expressive Mediterranean gestures. I just smacked the shit out of my mic and unplugged it for a half second there. You do that sometimes. Yeah. Then we hear the boarding process is beginning and it's family first. Connor then hits them with the cake. It's inadequate. It's inadequate cake, Spencer. Inadequate. We don't know why we will learn. I think of all of our friends. I micromanaged my wedding the most. Like I was in, I was the most. It worked out beautifully as a result. I was the most like deeply involved. I can't imagine the day of rejecting the cake. Oh, I I can't imagine a world of where you wouldn't have known the exact parameters of the cake before the day of. So that's true. But that's just cruel to tell the cake person, oh, we can't, this, this fucking massive cake that you spent a bajillion hours doing, we, I, I don't, I don't like it. We can't use it. it. Insufficient. We can use it just for presentation, but I don't want that anywhere near people. Isn't that, yeah. that what he basically says? Yeah. You know, the thing I would do, and you, you know this about me, I would, the cake person, I'd be like, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And then I'd run over to the side to you and the fellows and I'd be like, guys, don't eat the cake, cake shit. Don't, don't yeah. worry about the cake. Just don't eat it. Insider knowledge. Uh, the family <laughs> over there, they're going to eat it. You guys, you know better. <laughs> Spencer, don't let grandma eat the cake. We see a <laughs> shot of Jerry. <laughs> She's upset. Then a shot of Roman. He's unhappy. Connor is saying he doesn't want the cake served. He doesn't want to see the internal qualities. Yes, yes, yes. That's a Roman who was leaving a message for Logan. 
yeah, can can you call me back? That was horrible with with Jerry, and I don't I don't know if and don't listen to this if you don't want to. But I'm I'm totally okay. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not totally okay, and and you are kind of being shitty with me because your your son is getting married, but you can't expect me to keep bending over for you like being cunty. Like yeah, last question: Are you a cunt? Give me a buzz. <laughs> Let it be said. These may have been the last words that anyone said to Roman Roy. That Roman Roy may have actually heard. So here's the thing. I don't... Logan doesn't seem to me like the type of guy that doesn't... Logan Roy. Logan doesn't seem like the type of guy that doesn't check his messages. He probably checked it. Oh, yeah. I could also see him hanging up halfway through this. Not not getting to the, you're a cunt, give me a buzz. He could have hung up before I even got there. I I picture him just getting to the part where he's saying, it it was horrible with Jerry, and just like, okay, he did it. Good. Moving on. I'm in business mode. Yep. Then Kendall comes up and scares her. Like, Kidney drop. This is a very brotherly moment here. Yes. They had a number of these this episode where they this, just felt like brothers. This was far and away the closest we've ever seen these people acting as a family at any point previous to this. It, it, they were actually trying. They were interacting like siblings and they were actually trying to support each other. I didn't know they had it in them. Yeah. And it, and it was for two. Like it starts with. We need to be here for Connor because obviously dad's not coming and like we got to be sure. like a tight unit, kind of have our shit together. And then, of course, when Logan does, it becomes we have to band together for each other because they're right on the edge of falling apart. Right. So they walk in. Um, we got a head start on all the fucky, fucky face people. That's Roman. We come in. He kisses what? Willa says, nice boat. Willa says that Connor is fixated on the kids. And his dad, ugh, he apparently but, also told but, her the cake was a loony cake. Yeah, it's the cake in particular. She's like, it's, it's like she's trying to reach out to who will soon be her siblings-in-law. It's like, do you guys know why the cake is such a big deal? That's, isn't that kind of funny? It's like, oh, no, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They use, they use loony cake, which apparently means Victoria Sponge, right? Because when they were... Connor was told that his mom was being taken to a mental health care facility, which has been repeatedly insinuated by the kids that Logan did this to get her out of the way. Had her committed for some reason or another, and the kids are definitely going to the worst reason. They gave him cake. They gave Connor cake and had a little sugar bit of cake. So he was eating Victoria sponge for a week straight. And that's his memory of that type of cake. Isn't it unfortunate that Victoria sponge was the one that was picked for the wedding? It's not that good. Victoria I, sponge not that good. I don't think any category. I don't know if I've ever had Victoria sponge, but almost any category of sponge. I Victorian. Victorian. I don't think I would. Wouldn't be my default for a wedding for a wedding dessert. You know what I like when people do. I know it's like it's not what little girls are sitting around dreaming of, but wedding pies. I'm a big wedding pies fan. Like stick a couple of pies at each individual table and have people just go nuts. What? Yeah, let's do that. That, 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 you've tapped into my preference. Some dessert variety. Let people like pick among like a tray or various options of dessert for a wedding. Everyone seems to enjoy it more. It's long been established that I'm going to be the, the wedding coordinator for your wedding. Are you taking notes? No, I'll go and tell you what we're going to do. Big plates of cookies. You love cookies. You're oh, a big fucking you cookie guy. You know me too fucking well, sir. Big massive plates of cookies for everybody as they're just mingling and walking out the door and dancing. Cookies. Everyone will have a great time. Roman asks if there's a personal space that the kids can go. Is there an area where we don't get roid to fuck? Thank you. I mean, I want to meet everyone and get into all their jobs and children and shit and whatnot. But <laughs> so he doesn't want he. 
He's he got, wants to be isolated from the masses. It's it's amazing that I can say this and mean it and in 10 minutes be sobbing for them. But they are real genuine assholes because they think being a Roy, they're too important to mingle with the rest of the, 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 the guests. That's what they're saying is that they don't want to get Roy. They don't, they're a Roy, so they don't want to have to talk to the plebs. No, they, they don't need to. They're, the, the idea of having to, you know, politely socialize with the commoners would be lessening of them. They get their own wing on the boat so as to isolate them as they should be. Yeah, they don't want to get people coming up and asking for favors and stuff because of how important and powerful and rich they are. Kendall then asked if... They, they don't want Greg's whoever girlfriend that he's brought to the event to ask for a selfie. That's a question. Do you think Greg's brought a girlfriend? I don't think so. I think he was... I, I, I don't know... Did we recognize the girl that he was chatting with? No, I, I didn't either. So I maybe, but I, I didn't. I didn't see her as being someone that came with him. I think he was trying to meet somebody there. Yeah. Kendall then asked if Logan will be attending the wedding. Roman lies and says he doesn't know. I thought that was interesting. Roman knows that Logan isn't going. Logan told him in the conversation at the start of the episode, but he says he doesn't know. Shiv, who they've now greeted, says she's here in Stockholm, gone or going. Mm-hmm. Kindle Matson wouldn't fix it with him on a phoner. What? Well, well, actually, this is a fun thing. Roman has to lie here because his siblings can't know that he's got an inside connection with the dad. Yeah. So he's he's lying here to protect himself. That's true. If the kids knew he was still talking to Logan, might still lie because he just doesn't like the conflict, right? He doesn't want to be doesn't. the one that yes. delivers that news. But you're absolutely right. He had to hide that because he doesn't want them knowing he's talking to him. He's, he's had now two conversations with Logan that the kids don't know about. He talked to him the night before after the big blow up at the karaoke mm-hmm. place. And then this morning again. Uh, and also his two warm texts. We discussed those. And, you know, Kendall, who I think has. I don't think Kendall's smarter than Shiv. I really I don't. I think Shiv's the smartest of the three. But I do think Kendall has more direct experience with Waystar Warrico than any of them. And he seems shocked that, not shocked, but a little surprised that Matson couldn't do it over the phone. It made me question if Matson could have done it over the phone, but Logan doesn't want to go to Connor's wedding. Maybe. And it's also possible that Matson could just be fucking with them. Just, you know, expressing discontent by making them actually labor to come to him. I mean, it's a position of power. If you're going to a discussion, making people come to you is a certain, is, is a certain framing where each person is with this. So it could be an element of theater. Or do you think, question for you, do you think the kids feel any bit of guilt that they are holding up the deal, forcing Logan to go to Stockholm on Connor's wedding day? Well, I think it's notable that Shiv is immediately the one that's going, what if this falls through? What if this falls through? And she was the one that was pushed it more than anybody. Yeah, but I also, there could be an element because, you know, Logan has multiple motivations whenever he does anything. It could be a thing. He could call the thing. Connor Connor eventually will say to Logan, why did you come to my wedding? He could say, your fucking brothers and sisters forced my hand the night before they were fucking up my deal and I had to go to Stockholm to fix it and clean it up. Yeah, I I had to, because of your siblings, I had to go overseas so as to make sure you had the money to pay for your wedding. That's what I suffered through. I'm sorry your siblings made me do that. Absolutely. I can picture Logan saying that. Greg, small talk master that he is, we get a little bit of over here in this. He says, journalism. Taking quotes and kicking asses. Okay. I got a theory right away. What is it? He's talking to a journalist. This is where the leak comes from. It comes from Greg. He's he's making small talk with a journalist right there. And Tom, very clearly, when talking to Greg later on, insinuates maybe he should start leaking this. Very possible. Very good call. Could explain certain events that happen later. Greg's the leak. Hey, Greg, Greg's not the link. There is a lot of a lot of examples historically, 
our daily traffic of journalists monitoring, monitoring rich people's planes to try to tap into the radios or listen to their radios. So that other explanation could all, is perfectly plausible. Today. Yeah, I think that, I think that Tom does enough insinuation to Greg to leak it. And we know they, we, they give this as breadcrumb that Greg is talking to a journalist at the wedding. Roman yeah. <clears throat> just flying by says, Hey, 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 you shouldn't talk to him. He likes to whip it out and see if anybody notices it's a sick game. Stop. Greggy. <laughs> Loves is there to anybody? Where, I, he loves to do this to every single possible person he, confr- he encounters. He was doing this at karaoke to the random people in their wedding. <laughs> your wedding's going to be a fa- your your marriage will be a failure. And yes, like, yeah, that's very kind. Um, Greg used to this just says, "Yeah, yeah, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Roman." Greg then says he'd like to grab them for a second. Second Stop time, saying grab. Stop saying grab. We talked about this last episode, Greg. All right, you're coming down to New Orleans. Me and you are going to hang out this weekend. I'm going to do this in front of you to like a group, and it's going to. I'm just going to do this to make you cringe. Like we're all going to be somewhere, and I'm just going to say to someone, "I'm going to make it a. I'm going to make it a man." I'm just, just letting you know. I, I, hey no, man, like, hey man, no. can I grab you for a second? <laughs> I, I was expecting we were going to say like you know the waitress at one place where we're eating. I'm like, hey, miss, can I grab you? I. I Perfect world, I would do that just to make you uncomfortable, but that has implications on the person I'm yes, doing it, it to. Does. So I'm going to try to do it to somebody who may not get as upset, but uh, I will I will say this at some point to frustrate you. Greg I then says, flinch. yeah, yeah, I know. It's going to be great. <laughs> Shiv, not hearing it. Flatly says, absolutely not. Will not. No. Do not touch me. She literally says, don't touch me. Just keeps walking. I, I got to tell you, I'm... I'm impressed with Shiv this season. I'm impressed with her this episode. I was impressed with the last episode. She's tough, man. When she, she's just like, like, this is her, this is family. This is like cousin you, Greg. And she's just like, nope, uh-uh, not, not here. You are in or you were, or you were out. Greg has picked his team from her perspective. Kendall says, get your nose out of our trough. Greggy. They walk upstairs and Kendall and Shiv speculate on what Madsen will do. Kendall quips about Logan having to go Lincolnberry picking with Madsen. Mm-hmm. Humble then, himself, which they're loving. All right, I wish I had a gong. I'd hit the gong hard right now. Shiv gets a phone call. It's Tom. She looks at it but doesn't answer. This is the moment. This, this is the is, first one. This is the first moment. Of the if this family. just happened. Yeah, let, it be, let it be said that Tom tried to call her first to make sure she was in Twice. Yeah. Twice. She gets two, two phone calls back to back from Tom. Shiv breaking the universally known rule that if you get two phone calls back to back, you get one, you ignore it, you get another one, you have to answer it no matter what. You always have to answer that call. Shiv asks if the deal falls apart. Shiv wants to know what they'll do if the deal falls through. So this is is exactly what you're talking about, where she's like, hey, uh, what happens if uh, this doesn't work? Well, I don't know, Shiv, you're the one pushing for this whole coup, coup last episode. Already looking for an exit plan. Already, fall, already backing away from the plan that she committed everyone to. Shift phones, phones ring, rings again. Both of both of these ringings, we get the flash of the screen and see it's Tom Wamgam. Tom Wamsgam, but she ignores it again. Two phone calls back to back always means trouble. It, were you starting to have thoughts at this point? No. Me, me neither. It was like, oh, okay, this is something important. I'm curious what's going on. Still wasn't ready to entertain the thought that something might have happened to Logan. Yeah, this doesn't, this is not even the, no. Not, not, not on close. the radar yet. Connor then says that dad will pop by and the kids will need to stay away from him. So you guys stay down here. He'll be up there. You know, I mean, it's better this way, guys. Fair. Shiv and Kendall look at each other as he leaves. 
and ask who should tell him. That Logan's not coming. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Roman finally answers his phone. Hello, fucky sucky brigade. Who you doing? Tom, clearly with a different tone of voice, says, Logan is very, hey, hey, Roman, Logan is very sick. Very sick. That that was the undergoing drop. And for me, I, I was talking to my girlfriend, Bridget, and Bridget was pondering for a while hereafter, is this fake? Is Logan messing with them? Is this a test? Tom's tone removed any possibility of that in my mind. Because this is a, a level of serious Tom we just never, I didn't always even know existed. I've heard, I've heard this from people too, that they, they thought that maybe this was a test. Logan was messing with them. I thought as soon as I heard, just like you, as soon as I heard Tom's voice, I knew Logan had had a medical event. I did not. I thought there was a 50, 50 chance. They do the hang on at bedside for a couple days, a couple more episodes only because this was happening in episode three that I felt like there was room to have him sort of linger a little bit. I, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know it would happen. So done right and so it seems they've already ahead. done I, I guess they've already done that plot line though because that's kind of how the show opened was him lingering for a little bit and then fighting around it they're going a different direction with this one well the showrunners have said the, the original plan which original plans are just that right like we shouldn't put too much credence in them i think it, like a good example of this would be like in the game of thrones community they got hold of this letter that george r, r. martin wrote his publisher in 1992 or whatever about what the story could be and they always go back to that 25 years later as or 30 years later as if it's something that is going to predict the future not gospel it's not it's just it's just that it's just an original plan so we shouldn't take too much from it but the original plan for the for succession was for logan to die in the middle of season one and then the whole thing to be about the succession but what they realized is (laughs) they had brian cox playing they had brian cox and it was awesome (laughs) so they just kept writing the character so it seems like things are going on in the background with tom Roman immediately alerts Kendall, who is standing right next to him. He puts it on voicemail. Shiv is not with them at this point. She's out mingling. He puts it on voicemail, and Kendall leans in to listen. Tom is telling them that it's bad. It's very, very, very bad. And he, small point, but we know Tom is Midwestern, and he does the most Midwestern thing ever. He apologizes for calling them. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry and I'm calling you to give you a last chance to talk to your dad. And it's like, I, folks from the Midwest do this shit, and I... I, I know it comes from a good place, but I'm always like stunned. Like They're too close to Canada, man. Wait fact. a second. What the fuck? You're apologizing to alert me of this absolutely imperative, serious health situation with my father. Like, I don't think you need to apologize for calling. And we're, there's an aspect of Roy, the episode I want to still debate when we get there, but I want to give some credit right now. Tom handles this conversation in terms of trying to get the kids in connection with their dad and give them the last moment, like a goddamn champ. I mean, I don't really. Frank, Frank swoops in with some great moments that are even above that, but that's Frank. But Tom is soldiering through this with some expert chops. I don't. Again, I don't really care about the Roy of the episode segment for this episode because it's no one wins. It's a suck. Yeah, it's they're sucks. All, all categories of loss. But Tom is the Roy of the episode. Like absolutely, he is because he he is the one that's liaising with the kids. He's he's dealing with all of these stages of grief with the children, and he's handling it extremely well he handles really rude moments from shiv well he's even there for her at the end he only breaks one time and that's to his drinking buddy greg for and just he a second he, he apologizes, apologizes and pulls way back so tom tom does a great job this episode i really he, i really think so he's screwed going forward but in the moment you know officer in the trenches he's soldiering on 
I'm not so sure about that point. We'll see. Kendall asked what's going on. They say that Logan was feeling some pain. He went into the bathroom. They were concerned. So they went in after him and he was unresponsive. They don't quite say it's Elvis on the toilet, but they seem like it might be Elvis on the toilet. It's like it's like they don't want to say that. They don't want to make, make that the last moment of a great band kind of thing. They're, but there's a lot of implication there. But that could just mean that he was hurting and he he didn't want to hurt in front of people. So he went and sat down in the, yes. in the bathroom. Like It doesn't mean he's using the bathroom. Of course. Not that it matters. It, Tom, it, it matters a bit in terms of how people perceive it. I'm, yeah, I mean... I guess it does, but I mean, between me and you talking honestly, it really doesn't matter, right? Like, I mean, yes, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Tom is trying to fill them in, but Tom is doing his, oh, shucks, I just can't find the appropriate words routine. He's not a clear communicator, but he is trying. They are asking if he can talk, if Logan's responsive. Tom just waits and says, they're doing chest compressions. And when he says that, Roman almost recoils from Wait. the phone and goes, oh, fuck. And that, I think, is him like so he has massive denial later but i think his very first reaction is anger mm-hmm. he seems angry that this news is being given to him he seems frustrated and then he hits denial very hard for about 20 minutes of the episode well, and it's notable that the two of them are in the know enough that if they're doing chest compressions chest compressions this is this is not just not good this man is dying they're trying to desperately keep him alive long enough so that someone can resuscitate him at a hospital later and they're on a fucking plane trying to turn around. This is a level of not good we've not explored before. I got a special place of my heart for the Kendall character, as you know, as we've mm-hmm. talked about many times on this podcast. Hey, man, man has a strong showing this episode. And I, I really feel for his reaction, which was, Logan's in trouble. What can I do? It's my job to fix this. Because when the when Logan's away from the family and there's something going wrong, I'm, I'm, supposed, to be, I'm supposed to be the one to do it. And so he's stepping in. He's trying to, he goes into action mode. And what sucks, sucks, sucks is there is zero for him to do. Nothing. He's just basically Logan is dropped dead and they're just telling him. And and it's one of the things that both Tom and then more more successfully Frank are just trying to convince him of. I know you want to help. I know you want to do everything you can for your dad. I know you need to feel like you can be in control of this. But that ship has sailed. There's nothing that can be done here. We're all just watching. He's asking a million questions about things like, is his heart beating? Is he breathing? Has his heart stopped? Roman is asking for the fucking machine, which is the defibrillator. Carl mm. is saying he's breathing, maybe, um, which, you know, look, Carl's doing his best, but that's probably not a great thing to tell them. Um, Carl comes over and is trying to give them updates about how they have a service that is trying to give them medical advice. So apparently, this makes perfect sense. When you have a private jet like this, you likely enroll in a number of different insurances for your Mm -hmm. private jet, right? Like I liken this, the only thing in my personal life that I know of that's similar to this is I uh, traveled extensively internationally and I was traveling to pretty remote, remote, undeveloped locations. You were. And I had uh, the company I worked for put a particular type of insurance in place that would come get me. It was basically like, come get me insurance. It was like something went sideways. They would send send like a helicopter to come get me. That's the type of insurance I had. So I think that this, I think it's kind of the same type of thing where if you're going to charter this private plane, it's probably common to have some sort of insurance or some sort of service that you've employed for these medical situations that you can call and get advice, et cetera. They can talk you through what the steps would be the best you can do, which 
credit to this flight attendant because it seems like that she's the one that is solo given Logan chest compressions for like 30 minutes straight. That's just physically impressive. Yeah, it is. And like, you know, I dated a nurse one time and she told me that like when you're doing, when you're really doing chest compressions for real and you're trying to save somebody's life, you have to break their ribs. You are hurting them to try to save them. It's you're like, supposed no, to, you're supposed to almost break every rib because you have to get as close to the heart as possible to pump it. Yeah. The, chest compressions are a desperate gamble to buy time. The, the, no one leaves this well. You are exhausted. They are bruised and battered. And no film can portray it accurately because doing it to an actor would physically hurt them. So they have to do – no one gets to see what chest compressions actually look like unless they're in a hospital or sadly in the field seeing it. Because no, no show could accurately portray it. Otherwise, they would you know, be phys- very much hurting the person it's being done to. That's a great point. And this is, the, this is the start of what I think is some really great moments from Frank. Frank comes over and says, Damn the, ki- the kids should talk to him. Put the phone up to Logan's Good. ear. So it was, it was Frank that was originally portraying this. It was Frank. It seems like the reason that Tom even called was that Frank was like, "Logan's dying. They need this last moment. Give them this last moment." Frank, Frank, Frank's a character I've always liked. Man, does he impress me this episode. So when he says that, Roman, still in anger, says, "Why does Frank think that, Tom? Why do you think that?" And Tom goes, "I, I, I guess if it's a chance to, you know, I, th- I think in case it's the last chance." Fuck you mean, Tom? Roman is still going in anger, right? And Frank comes on and tells Roman it's a good idea for him to talk to him, that he's not doing well. They're doing chest compressions. What strikes me about the scene is how you really just couldn't see it coming. It's like, they, you know, and I love that they called it Connor's wedding because that's what the yeah. day was supposed to be. And, and it all comes crashing down. And unfortunately, like when people just kind of have these episodes and drop dead like this. This is exactly how your day goes. You're just doing something, whatever the fucking thing is. It's a wedding. It's a, this, it's a going to work. And then all of a sudden now you're like having to marshal medical, you know, legal family members who to call. Should I go to the hospital? Should I do that? Like there's a million things you have to start figuring out and they're quarterbacking all this stuff in the moment. Hey, we should have seen it coming as we've seen before, even on this show, a Roy wedding without at least one death is a dull affair. HBO weddings, man. It's tough. <laughs> and, you know, I thought I knew that this would be tough, but I thought it would just be tough because the bride doesn't love the groom. I thought that would be the, the extent of how difficult it is. Apparently we, they had to make it a little we, more difficult. We've already done that one before. The show, the show had too much, you know, circling repetition in season three. They're done with that now. And then uh, Roman screams, you serious right now, Frank? Fuck me, man. Kendall then says, we just heard that he is breathing. You shouldn't do CPR, CPR to someone to whose control. heart is going. Still I'm not trying to guide. I'm not even sure if that's true, but Kendall says it in a very authoritative and fast way. You know, you get the sense. I mean, the purpose of CPR is basically to artificially kind of force oxygenated blood through the body. You're physically just trying to force the heart to beat by means of your hands. So I think he's right in terms of that. You wouldn't do it without someone. Someone was still, you know, their heart was still beating. Right, and you. As Roman does ask this question later, but I will answer it for him. No, you cannot, your heart, you can't breathe without your heart. So yeah. um, if he's breathing, his heart is still going. And that, and that, if that was just Frank, wrong, Frank was just wrong. Well, Carl was just Carl, wrong. Carl, Carl, Carl yeah. was just wrong when he said, oh, he's, I think he's still breathing. Because he couldn't have been breathing, they wouldn't have started the chest compressions. None of them know. They're all flailing. They're all just trying to play catch up. But you do get the sense that, and this is something the show does really well, that a it wouldn't have mattered. This was some yeah. massive, massive cardiac event. 
he wasn't going to survive it. He basically died on the spot. That's it. Here's a, here's a, a rather uh, cold thought. From the airline's perspective, they're going to have to do chest compressions until they land for liability purposes. Well, they do stop at one point. I mean, they 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 stop to do a defibrillator, but I think they keep going for pretty much up until they land. Just no, they, they no, they don't. There's a moment you missed it. There's a moment where they get a phone That's call. That's right. She she walks away. At, I remember that. And they say they stop chest compressions. Now, I think you're right. They have to do it for a really long time because at some point Frank Frank actually says, "I think they have to do it, guys." Like they're, they're yeah. he's trying to explain to them. This doesn't mean there's hope. This is something they have to do from a liability perspective. But I think that like maybe. They were dealing with an overseas flight, right? So they were in the air a really long time. Like they were, they were already out in the Atlantic when this shit happened. Oh yeah. Um, Roman actually says this at one point, and if it was any other situation, I would make a lot of fun of Roman for saying it. But I don't think there's any space to do that here. He says, "Can you breathe without a heart? Can you?" Everybody's struggling here, Matt. They're just saying things. They're trying to make reality change from what it is. This is denial, right? So he's yeah. flipping now from the ang. I think he got one and two mixed, right? Because a lot of people, I mean, not mixed, but this is just his natural reaction. Um, you know, the the natural stages of grief, which are sort of clinically proven, as people go in denial than anger. It looks like Roman did anger than denial, but now he's starting to slip into denial because he's saying, "Can you breathe without a heart?" He's just sort of making stuff up. He starts to at one point, and we'll get into this. He starts to think that the only way a person can die is if a doctor looks at them, that they can't possibly be dead unless a doctor's looking at them, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, you're only dead when you have a death certificate, sir. That's how that works. Like, people know when someone's dead, Roman. Like, we, they can look at somebody and tell when they're dead. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I think Frank knew that Logan was dead three minutes ago. I think he did, too. That's a good point. I think he, I, I, for the impression I got from all of this crew is Frank was the first one to accept it and and start working towards something else. The next steps, yeah. I think that Carolina was, this is her reaction to any stressor, is to work. Mm-hmm. It's what can I do to just immediately become productive and start working. Um, she seems, strikes me the type of person that if she dealt with something like a divorce, she would just start working 19-hour days. Like That's how she would just deal I, with anything. I think it's a very accurate read. Meanwhile, Carl's drinking. We've, we're getting to see everybody at this moment. I actually have a little segment where I talk about like everybody on the plane, how they all deal with it. And it it's, is really fascinating. Again, quality writing for the show. Everyone's reaction is unique and in character. And it's wonderfully, wonderfully portrayed. Tom says he's going to, going to take the phone to Logan's ear for you to be with him. He'll be able to hear you. If he can hear, he'll be able to hear you. Now, when we're 95 and the nurse puts the, cause I'm going to outlive you. When the nurse puts the, the phone to your ear, That's how it works, yeah. phone to your ear, you want to know what you're going to hear at 95? Tell me. You never called me back. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that may just keep me going out of sheer spite. Just right there. Like, and then like, then like Jon Snow, you go, <gasps> I, I must kill him before I go. I must continue to live and not call him back. <laughs> Oh, God, that's going to happen now, isn't it? Uh, Tom says, you, you might want to get Shiv. Yeah, 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 we're, we're going to get Shiv. So th- at this point, Shiv hasn't e- they even got even got Shiv. No, now, they, they sent her off to tell Connor. That's what she's going to smooze with right now. Uh, yeah, and I don't blame Kendall and Roman for not getting her before they did, but there was space to get her before they did. They just... They were just struggling, like, and, and they, they, they apologize. They make it right immediately, but there was a little space to get her before they did. It's a completely human response that they could never be judged for. Where, completely how, agree. How, 
yep. how else does one, someone behave in the moment where they just found out their father's dying? Absolutely agree. Roman keeps asking, what's going on? Is he okay, Tom? Is he okay? <sighs> Tom says this. No, Roman, he's not okay. Yeah. But you can speak to him now. Tom puts the phone up to Logan's ear and Kendall motions like it's Roman's opportunity to talk. Roman takes it off speakerphone, walks away from Kendall a bit and says this. Uh, hey, Dad, I, uh, I hope you're okay. You're, you're okay. You're, you're going to be okay because you're a monster. And you're going to win. And you just win. You're a good man. You're a good dad. You're a very good dad. You did a good job. Nope. Sorry, I can't do this. I can't. It's your turn. He did. As he ponders later, he did not say he loved him. But I think he still expressed the feeling. He was nicer to him than anybody else. I mean, Kendall flat out, Kendall flat out said in the ear of a dying man, I don't forgive you, which was fascinating. Uh, But Roman says, you're a good man. You're a good dad. You're a very good dad. You did a good job. I mean, that's pretty strong. It is. And he clearly means. Which a lot of that's a lie, too. I think it does accurately reflect some aspects. Each of them expresses what they feel. Whether it's perfectly accurate or not, it's still in character. Of where Roman wants to love his dad, he wants to have a relationship with him, he wants these things to be true. Enough that he's saying them right now, and I think he at least halfway means them. All right, so we're going to start handing out Emmys for this episode, obviously. I don't think we have enough categories for everyone to get the Emmys they deserve. You've got two Emmys to give out. I've got two Emmys to give out, okay? Okay. That's how we're going to do this. All right. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go first to give you a sense of what I'm going at for this bit. Mm. I'd like the first one I'd like to give to Kendall. The actor plays Kendall Jeremy Strong because yeah. of the, not because of the looks he gives other characters. He starts mm-hmm. with this one. When Roman is talking to Logan, we get a shot of Kendall watching him and breaking like he's just breaking down and then we get another one later that i'll, I'll reference but it's the, it's the looks on his face when other characters are doing things mm-hmm. that throw him over the top first emmy jeremy strong i think that's a very strong pick hey look at that uh is acting is impeccable this episode his his reactions to others his little gestures of support and everything else i commented i think even the last couple episodes they felt like they weren't giving him much material to work with Man, did that change this episode. He's leading things. And we all know Jeremy Strong is a method actor. That's increasingly rare in Hollywood these days. To the, to the point that it seems to obviously piss off Brian Cox based on some interviews I've seen of him. Brian Cox will basically tell you he doesn't like working with Jeremy Strong. But, like, Jeremy Strong does this method acting thing. And I, it's my opinion. And it might just be me reading into it after the fact, right? I might just know these people are method actors and then I read more into it. But it seems to me that when people are method acting they do high emotional scenes a little bit better because they're so ingrained in the character. Like that was what Daniel day Lewis really thrived on. Right. Was mm-hmm. this really sp- high spike in emotion. He could always hit that note. One, one of the things as well that you, you, you don't watch the after episode stuff, right? Never. Uh, this episode, Jeremy strong that was on there several times. You commented about one of the things they, how much he liked that they did that usually when they do the cuts between scenes, even when they're happening at the same time, they stop and then move on to a different scene. They don't film it as like one continuous kind of gesture or whatever else. They talked about here that for the scene of them, the boat, they filmed them all contiguously. They filmed the whole 27 minutes straight of them always, always one. Like a stage play, kind of. Like it's very much like a one act stage play in terms of them filming it out and how difficult that was, but how much it worked well. I can picture a method actor like him just loving that shit for, for, for keeping in the role and be able to express it that way. Yeah, and someone who came up in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Kendall asks if he's by his ear. Tom says, yes, you're by his ear. If he can hear you, he's going to hear you. 
Um, so this is Kendall has a chance to talk to him later. But first, Kendall walks downstairs and he's clearly upset because now he's trying to go get Shiv, right? Mm-hmm. And he's walking around trying to find her. Here's what I like. It takes a long time, long in TV time, for him to find her. Realistically so. And it feels longer because we're in his head for it, too. You, you, you know exactly what I was feeling in the moment, right? Because I, I think they could have shortened it, which they often do in television. If you notice... So you, much better they didn't. If you notice in these types of scenes, hey, I'm going to go find so-and-so in a crowd. Cut. To them. They find them, right? But they let Kendall walk around aimlessly for about 10, 15 seconds. And we feel how hard it is for Kendall because we get to watch him trying to hold it in, trying to not sob, panicking, looking around, trying to find Shiv. And I don't know. I just felt like I, I got a, I got the sense of how much, how difficult this is for him. Well, there were so many scenes of where I just felt immediate, profound empathy and just felt like I was just living in the same headspace of the character. This was one of the strong ones there, where that moment of where he's just alone, that moment of where he's just pondering what the hell he says, how he's going to tell his, tell his beloved sister that their dad is dead. God, that felt real. God, that felt lived in, in terms of just it helped again, just by having such a great actor in that role. He sees Shiv, pulls her aside. All right, let's. I'm going to start. Now, I know I'm hitting you with all kinds of crazy bits this episode. But Shiv is a strong contender for another one here. Well, Shiv gets. I'm going to. I won't bury lead. Shiv gets my other Emmy. But yeah. I also want to do another little bit where it's like most tragic line of the episode, and I think that I've got a couple nominees. <sighs> I don't think I think I know where you're starting with this. <laughs> Shivy, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, dude. I, again. Oh. These are horrible people, but watching them deal with each other in this moment of pain, watch them try to support each other and care for each other, particularly the brothers with Shiv. We see that several times. It's powerful stuff. Yeah, I'm welling up for them, and I hate these people. Well, and the thing about humans most of the time, um, <laughs> and and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm getting preachy here. I get told all the time I'm being preachy. But I here's what I think I've noticed is that not every people aren't all good or all bad, right? And like even these people who do suck, they're not a hundred percent bad. They can still feel things like love, loss, grief, obligation. Like there are they, every single thing we've seen Shiv done has not been evil. Every single no. thing we've seen Kendall no, no, do no, no. has these not are been human evil. Human people. And so even though they on the whole do kind of suck. And just 30 minutes ago, I was just berating them for being these over-the-top exclusive rich they, people. They still are, and they will be tomorrow. But for right now, we can feel for them. But they're not all bad, and so therefore, I can feel this empathy for them because they're they're portraying like kind of humans, which humans aren't all good or all bad. So he says, <laughs> shivy, honey, I pause, <laughs> I pause and cry. Uh, her reaction, too. Yeah, because she says, mom, and he says, dad, he's in trouble. He's in the plane. It's bad. And it's chest compressions. I think that's just this really quick way of explaining this is really bad. Well, it's also just a mindset that very much resonates with me of where my parents are getting to that age of where if I get a call from one of them at like 11 o'clock at night. Oh, my, God. Oh, my, God. My first thought is, oh, shit. I've told my mom not to do it. <sighs> I'm like, Mom, do not fucking call me at weird hours. I freak out. Like I, yeah. She knows not to do it. Um, so even if something is happening that like, 
maybe she would have called. She'll wait till like normal business hours. Cause she knows I'll just lose my shit. If I get a, a call at like 10 or 11, I'm thinking this aunt died, that one, you know, somebody in my family, I get freaked out. So shivy honey is a really tough one for me. And then yeah. he says it's chest compressions. He, she says, what, what can, and this is the first time yeah. her voice quivers. He pulls her aside and he says, they don't don't know everything. Ken and Frank are on the phone to doctors. He explains that he was in the bathroom, he being Logan, and he had trouble breathing. And it's a lot of, uh, and I don't know, and what's happening. And they do a great job of distilling in just a few scenes. It's about 20 minutes. The panic that occurs when someone dies. Yeah. Everyone is three steps behind and they don't know how to get forward. Everyone's just looking for something to latch on to make some sense of this. Like you said, with Kendall trying to... Roman being in denial, Kendall trying to exert control, Shiv. I'm curious what you know description we assign to Shiv's processing of this because it almost just feel like Shiv's the one that most regresses to being the scared little girl, and I don't mean to just gender it that way, but she seems most like she is a lost child in terms of her processing this. Agreed, agreed. Um, and I don't know if I'm being honest. I don't know if that's because if I think that way because she's a woman. Um, I don't know if somehow like I equate, I equate her grief and her crying to like being like a little girl in a way that maybe I wouldn't with a guy. I don't, I, I'm just trying to be like honest in how I view this. Like, I wonder why I'm viewing her as, as being more childlike than, than the men. I think it helps that her word choice of where she's the one that daddy, 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 that immediately just puts you back in that state of that she's being his little girl again. She, it's part of how she interact. We saw her previously interact with him back during happier times anyway, because it could just be something that she defaults to. But that kind of pleading and that word choice very much, it puts you in that mindset of a kid at, 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 the, at the bedside of their dying parent. That's true. The word choice is true. But I do think there's something to the gender part of it because like, because there's that tendency of like wanting to like, oh my gosh, a woman's crying. I want to like put my coat around her and hug her and tell her everything's going to be okay. And like fix the situation and white knight it, which we want to like deconstruct and like deprogram in our brains. But like that is something that kind of happens in my, my dumb little ape brain. It happens in show too. We're all her brothers treat her the same way for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Where they're trying to comfort her. They're trying to be there for her. They're trying to check on her. And almost, almost in place of their own grief in terms of how they're processing it. So they walk upstairs and the last thing Kendall says to her is something about Logan is still breathing, but it being bad. And when they walk in, that's the cold water. Roman is just told this. I think he's talking to Carl or a Frank at this point. I bet it's Frank. Yeah. He says, they think he's gone. They think dad died. First time they use the word died. Yeah. They think dad died. Maybe the last time Roman uses it for most of the rest of the episode. So we start with Shiv. Shiv starts with denial. And she goes, no, 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 no. I, I can't have that. So let's put that in the tragic line of the episode. I can't have that. And the way Sarah Snook breaks, man, I don't know, man, it's just really powerful. Like her hand, as she does the handshaking thing as she's trying to hold the phone, which is really, really tough to watch. Yeah. So she gets the phone and Tom puts the phone up to Logan's ear and she says, hey, dad, uh, hello, um, you're going to be okay. And then she, I think she starts to skip ahead. In some, of, in some of the stages because she just holds the phone away and she goes, is he dead? Because I think in her, I think the, what I, what I thought I noticed in her is that she thought, well, if he's dead, what the fuck am I doing? I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't even be talking to him if he's dead. And she goes, is he fucking dead? And she's screaming at the kids and Roman just says, I don't know. And then they say, Tom, Tom. Yeah. There's such a lovely moment between the two of them of where she asked Tom, you know, is he alive? Is he alive? And Tom 
cutting through everything else that's going on, everything else between them. None of that matters in this given moment. Just says, I don't know, honey. And she has the most lovely response to that of where, is he, is he, are you just being nice to me? Is he gone? It's so, it's so delightfully innocent. It's so much, I love how, even when they have brief moments of where they're snapping at each other, they, they are all on the same mindset of that's an issue for tomorrow. Today, my dad is dying. Yeah. That's another thing I've noticed is that like people at funerals tend to default to the relationship that they had where they were the closest. Yes. Like you see a and, lot of like exes. Unless they're doing an Irish wake in this quick case that is roasting the corpse. Uh, that usually happens after. That's a wake it after, is. right? So, uh, yeah. And then everybody's drunk at that point. But like, I, I think I noticed two, I've seen like two things happen a lot at weddings. One is like exes will hold hands or mm. hug or comfort each other, like in a kind of a physical way that you wouldn't see outside of the funeral. And then you also see a strange family members, especially siblings haven't spoken in years, kind of default to that loving relationship just for the purposes of that funeral. Kind of, we kind of see them doing that here. Cause I'm not sure the divorce is off. I'm not saying, I, I think they might still be at divorce, no, 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 no. but there's still, he says, honey, she's, she's like being warm to him. She puts his, her, her head in his chest at the end of the episode. They kind of default to this part of the relationship was the most comforting and the most positive. I, I, that is a very accurate thing that I never really thought about before, but summarized perfectly. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, this is, this is Shiv with the phone. Roman tells her to go somewhere private and just speak. She says, he says, it's weird, but you never know. He might hear you. Again, I love how supportive these siblings are being for each other. And Shiv takes it to heart. And we get we get what Shiv says. That's almost Rogan, uh, Roman getting into bargaining a little bit there. Yeah. Um, and so she goes, Dad, uh, hey, Dad, Daddy. I love you. Don't go. Please not now. No, I, I love you. Fucking God. I don't know. Um, there's no excuses for thee. This is the touch of Kendall we get for a second, though. She doesn't go as far as Kendall, like you said, saying, I love you, I love you, I don't forgive you, but I love you. There's no excuses for the. I think she was going to say, for the way you treated me. Yes. Something along those lines. She's got options there, and she was about to hit one, but she pulls it back. Both, Roman's just a spiel. Kendall is, control, is controlled and measured. Even he dials it back, though, once he hits that point about, I don't forgive you. Shiv's kind of the same way of where she was briefly going into it, but she has enough control that she stops consciously about these are the last words I may tell my father what I want him to be. That's when she goes, but I, but I, fuck, I don't know. I, I do love you and it's okay. It's okay, daddy. It's okay. I love you. And that's the last thing she says to Logan. No. So during this, we see a shot of Logan so that we finally, we finally see him and it's him. And he's on the ground and they got his shirt off and they're doing chest compressions. And it's, it, this is like, remove all doubt at this point. All do you, doubt. It, this is really happening. Do you, do you think uh, Brian Cox negotiated for full salary for this, for this little scene right here? He, you know what? How stupid the, the, the pay scales are for these. Things? He probably got a full season because I bet they do flashbacks or he'll do voiceovers or Possibly stupid so. shit. I mean, the lady who well, played the lady who played Cersei Lannister in season eight had like five scenes. She was drinking wine at a window the entire time. Got ten million dollars an episode. Yeah, sometimes it's just a retirement deal. Well, and also partly you talked about how it's, it's so incredible that uh, they were able to avoid leaks. They may also do that with respect to contracts to avoid le- that, that leaking out about they only were paid for three episodes or something. 
That's a really good point. Yeah, that that is probably hot because I bet I'll bet that Hollywood insiders look at the contracts for stuff like that. That's a great point. The only thing I know for certain leaked about this episode was that somebody was able to get a picture of the ambulance outside the plane, but nobody knew when that was or any context associated with it, and so this still came as an abject surprise for the world. You know what? I'm on I'm on Twitter with the, at Mangum Talks. Please follow us at Mangum Talks. Of course. Um, I'm, I am 99% of the time, the person controlling the, the Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And I, I click on succession stuff. I have succession stuff all over my timeline. I didn't see that picture you're talking about. So I, I, I didn't even I see I saw it. that ways ago back on Reddit where that was something that somebody said where, Hey, this just got leaked from like, you know, somebody mining the sites, uh, in ter- uh, like, you know, hanging around the film, the filming, or whatever else. Here's a picture of an ambulance outside a plane. But there was no context. It was just okay. Well, somebody somebody had a medical event on a plane. Maybe maybe it's Logan. Nobody thought it'd be now, or nobody thought it'd be this. Tom asked her if she wants to stay on. Shiv is just crying in the background. She asked Roman to take it take it away, take it away, please. Take the phone away from me, please, please. Roman does because she's starting to sort of panic with the phone in her hand for some reason, and he hugs her as he takes the phone yeah. away from her. Which I don't know if you remember. I believe it's the second episode of the show. Shiv and Roman get in a fist fight in the hospital after mm-hmm. after Logan had had a had had a stroke. Stroke. So they've come a long way. Certainly so. Or at least Roman, for this moment. Roman asks Tom to tell him precisely what's happening. Tom says he's going to the front of the plane and he explains they are doing chest compressions. We hear the defibrillator fire up. Roman kind of latches on to chest compressions and says they're still doing chest compressions. They're still doing chest compressions. Like that's the thing that's kind of tough about chest compressions, right? Is that like you can't stop. But they're not supposed to stop. They have to keep doing it, it, you know, for a reasonable amount of time or until they can get a doctor near the person. But that doesn't mean the person's alive. No, chest compressions are basically respecting the fact that this person is currently dead and I'm trying to preserve his state long enough that some professional can actually resuscitate him. Yeah. Keep oxygen going to the brain long enough that by the time they get resuscitated, the brain's not dead. That's yes. kind of the idea. Tom says, yeah, 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 they are. But not because this is him trying to explain it, but he he doesn't want to be too harsh. He says, but not because I think they have to, I think they have to keep doing that. And the people are lovely and they are good people. And I think they've made him comfortable. This is the most direct. I think Tom really gets here, but it, man, again, Tom I'm is not doing clapping, the best he can. I'm not clapping because the situation is good. Tom is coming through. What a best, line to deliver to them. Best he can with a shit situation more than anyone else on this plane, other than Frank here in a second, but Tom's the one that's doing the lion's share of it. Tom, just last episode, compared Logan's girlfriend having a bad, you know, take to, to, to Israel Palestine. To Israel Palestine. He's not the guy I would think, hey, let's hand him the most stressful situation. He'll probably stay cool under fire. Like I, yeah, it, But I'm he's impressed. delivering. He's coming I'm through. I'm impressed. I am too. Kendall says, is he okay at all? And Tom says, no, he's not. No, he's not. How many times this episode does he have to explain? No, he's not okay. No, he's not okay. This is the denial that all the kids are going through and they're kind of cycling through anger, bargaining. Well, is there something we can do? Is there a doctor we can get in there? Back to denial. Well, they're doing chest compressions. So that means he's still alive. A doctor still hasn't seen him. And Tom is having to deal with the cycle and all of these stages. And he's very consistent. I feel like he doesn't give them false hope. He doesn't speak out of turn because he can't pronounce somebody dead, but he does say, no, Kendall, he's not okay. Let me try to get this through you. It's not okay. This is why he's dealing with his own grief. He's having to manage several other people going through the five stages while he's somewhere in the middle of them himself. And I'll tell you this. 
I'd like to say that like about my own personal experience. I, we know you're going to talk about your own personal experience later in the episode. We know you literally love to do that. Sure, um, that's happened before. Yeah, so we're just waiting for you to start chiming in with your own personal anecdotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would but say. so my mother-in-law died a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that what gets lost a lot of times for people is that when their in-law parent, their in-law dies, you're so caught up in wanting to make the spouse feel better because it's their parent that you kind of forget that you loved them too. And I think that like, that's something that does get lost in this episode is that Tom really liked Tom might've liked Logan more than any of the fucking kids did. He was certainly by his side. I mean, he's, he's stuck with him. He really liked Logan. And so that was a really, really fucking great point you made Spencer is that he also is going to have to deal with the fact that he lost somebody he cared about that was in Mm -hmm. his family. He's so caught up with helping the kids that he's probably not even really assessing how he's feeling. I think in some ways it's often a coping mechanism or a way of, putting off your own pain is to similar to what Kendall does take an administrative role with respect to it, manage other people's grief, help them come to terms with theirs so that you'll not have to weep for your family member. Now weep for them tomorrow instead. Yeah. Some, I was so caught up in doing, I was so caught up in like trying to help my wife that like, I forgot, like, wait a second, I lost somebody I love too. Like there's a grief that I've got to go through. So I wonder if we see that play out for Tom, any of the, in the upcoming episodes, I know he's going to be in a knife fight. Michael Jackson beat it style with Sid for control of ATN. I'm looking forward to seeing that, but I do hope we get a few moments where we see that he's actually going through the grieving process himself. Roman uh, still in denial says, but that doesn't mean he's dead medically. And Tom says, I don't, I don't know. They're still doing chest compression. So he doesn't, he he didn't know how to engage with that. Kendall says he's got that real determined look on his face. And Roman asks, um, when he lands, if they are heading, when are they going to land? And if they're heading back, Kendall has to be put through the flight deck. He says, look, I'll, I'll just call Frank's phone and Frank will put me through the flight deck. Okay. Frank has to walk over the, what we now really know is the corpse of Logan to try yep. to actually talk to the pilots so that Kendall can be happy. Frank looks, well, he, does he talk to the pilot? It looks like he just stands there. He, at least, we don't see him talk to the pilot. We see that he goes to around the cockpit. He at least goes in that area. I think he at least like asked, can I talk to you for a minute? And the pilot probably said, no, I'm going back to Teterboro. Yeah, maybe. Or, so that, that, that definitely could happen. We don't know. I had my headcanon for that scene was that he walked up there as a sort of like show gesture. Yeah. But he, he never even engaged the pilot. Like he, he knew that was stupid. Like not, not stupid. That's a harsh word, but he knew that that, that was not productive. Yes. And it's certainly what he basically just tells Kendall here in a second is just that Ken, no, I'm, I can't talk to the pilot right now. He's flying the damn plane. Yeah. Kendall then calls. Jess and says, Jess, my dad's dying. I'm going to do it. I'm just doing facts. Okay. I need a doctor. Jess says you go, and you don't catch that. I didn't catch this unless I was watching it on subtitles as Kindle's spitting all this out. Jess says, are you okay? It's the first thing Jess yeah. says. So shout out Jess. And he says, do you have a doctor on the line? Um, they keep saying they have a medical service and they have Carl's guy, but apparently they don't have Logan's doctor on call right now. Couldn't get a hand. Couldn't get a hold of him. Kendall says, and dad's doctor, Dr. Judith, Dr. Fucking Judith, get that lazy fucking bastard. The best, right off. Yeah. the best heart doctor in the world and the best airplane medicine expert in the world and have them conferenced in and send a conference call number to me and Tommy Carl's phone and, and all of those things I, w- I would take, but I, all of those things in the next minute or two minutes, please just, and on just, it. just says, sure, I'm on, on it. it. Now I had a back and forth on Twitter about this with some people. There was someone who I thought great perspective and that this is where like Twitter can actually be a cool thing. 
says that they worked as an executive. They had worked as an executive assistant for a very like high up person. And sometimes you did get these calls of like, Hey, I need 16 pie crust and two gallons of spoiled milk and a 86 Volvo in an hour, please. And you're like, what? And like, the, the, and so this person was like, man, I was having flashbacks to getting these like crazy calls. And my response, and I actually put it on Twitter. My response was, Jess probably gets a lot of that from Kendall. Oh, fuck yeah. But my headcanon for this is that she just put the phone down and didn't do anything and thought, poor guy. Like, you know, I, I, this is, she knew this was babble. This was part of, this part of bargaining, which is part of the stages of grief. And she knew that this was just Kendall trying to exert any control he could over the situation, but she probably didn't do anything after this call, I wouldn't think. I, I, I can't know for sure on that point, but I will definitely agree that a key aspect of her job, both here and probably many times before, is to just be a person that listens to Kendall. And that's sometimes what he needs more than anything else. Ken then calls Frank and Frank answers. Kendall asks to talk to the pilot. Frank says, the pilot can't speak to you right now, Ken. He's flying the plane, son. I'll tell you this. Um, when you drop the son to someone who's not your son and you're much older, I feel like it's a risky thing because you can, you can definitely sound... It, it could first off, it could sound it, it, they can have racial connotations, but it, it can be very condescending. But if you thread the needle and you drop it in at just the right time, you, it can be really powerful. And I think he, I think this is the perfect time here. It's one of the things of where it's so much more effective if you have an existing relationship. Of where Frank has been almost like a pseudo father, or at least someone that Kindle has been able to trust and turn to through every time we've seen him and seemingly years before. Frank and Jerry have been like the godparents of this family from day one, and the kids respect and trust them in that way. So when Frank tells Kendall, particularly Kendall, I'm not particularly close the two of them are, calls him son, that cuts through a whole mess of shit right there, very effectively and very quickly. But it wouldn't, as you said, it wouldn't have worked if they didn't have that relationship going in. I'll tell you something that Tom does and Frank does. Now, both Tom and Frank are dealing with their own grief, as I mentioned yeah. before. You love your in-laws. So like Tom probably did have some level of love for Logan and he's grieving. Frank, admit, he's Friends. like, I worked with him for 40 fucking years. Like he's, he was 12, a big deal. Body's tw- I love that line later. We'll get to it. It's, his body's 12 feet away and for 40 years. We're not fucking with you right now. But something that they do that I'm super impressed by that like I hope I can always do in my life is when somebody's dealing with intense grief, like in the moment. Is just get just back up and give them space. It's almost like you yeah. you want to give them like a very large, massive like, and it's not not because of a psych word connotation, but like a big big padded room almost like metaphorically, so that they can just kind of do whatever they need to do emotionally. Like listen to whatever, hear you know hear the strange calls. You know like whatever they're doing, just give them space to do whatever the fuck that is. And Tom and Frank seem to sort of intrinsically know that, and that's what they're trying to do, but. They've also got to deliver news and they're also trying to liaise and they're also trying to deal with like other things, but they, they seem to both understand we got to give these kids space to do what they need to do in this moment. So Kendall keeps asking for information. Frank says they're turning the plane around and they're going back to Teterboro. Kendall says, well, just, just, just fucking tell them to to do it right. Okay. Now that goes on the tragic list of lines for me. Just tell them to fucking do it right. Um, Frank says, I will. I will. I'm sorry, Ken. And Kendall hangs up. And for a second, he says, or before he hangs up, he says, is he gone, Frank? Is he is he gone? And Frank says he got very short of breath. He was hurting. And he stops and he says, I don't want to bullshit you, Ken. I think he went. I think he's gone. Powerful line. Powerful moment. 
again, it's, it is Tom and it is Frank that are trying to carry this as much as they can in terms of helping the kids deal with the death of their dad. And then Kendall just gets tight and says, oh, okay, thank you. Thank you, Frank. And he hangs up and he looks, he looks broken. And there's this great line from season one where after Kendall has the, I think it's, I think it's right before he has the Chappaquiddick incident. Yeah. He's talking to Logan. Do you remember what I'm talking about here? I do. But you, keep, keep talking. Keep talking. And he says, who do you like? Kendall, uh, Logan says something along the lines of, if you just want me dead so you can take the company or something. It, he, it, it's, it's when Kendall like gives him like the, the message indicating I'm going to do a vote on you to get you out kind of thing. Like when he's in his hotel room or something. Yeah. And, he, and Logan's like, well, you just want me away. You want me dead or whatever. And Kendall says, who do you think I am? I'll be broken when you die. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. That's a different thing. But yeah, I remember that. That's what, that's what I'm talking about when he says, I'll be broken when you die. And then we have this shot when he hangs up with Frank of Kendall looking absolutely broken. And I, I had that direct line back to that, that comment he made to Logan where he said, I'll be broken when you die. And now we see it play out. Cut back to the kids and Kendall says, Frank thinks he's gone. And Roman just says, no. Shiv then starts asking, why didn't you come and get me? I was right here. And both Kendall and Roman jump on that really quick. They immediately, they're immediately apologetic. They immediately try to reassure. Again, they're trying to be there for their sister. I hate to gender this, but I think the characters are and how much they're trying to be here for Shiv in this moment. Yeah, but I, you know, a lot of times on these podcasts, we're wrestling characters. Like we're just like kind of playing up our personalities and making jokes and stuff. This is not the episode for it. Like I honestly am just trying to figure out like how much of my, I pity Shiv and they should all be taking care of Shiv is you should be taking care of the woman yeah. and it's gendered. And I, I think if I'm being honest, there's some Patriarchy. of that. There's definitely some of that, you know, that I need to like be cognizant of and address and talk about because, it, you know, you don't fix these things without talking about them. Sure. But I think that there's some of that. But I also do. I, I also I think, think, think you the made characters it, are doing it, whatever we're feeling. Sure, sure. Right. But, but, but I'll, I do think it's an important thing to talk about. But I, I do like your point about the language she uses as well. Because that does play into it a little bit. She calls him daddy. I think that does kind of, if that doesn't cut right to you, I don't know what does. So, right. Well, well, and, she, and she sounds very lost here too. Just about, you know, why didn't you come for me? Why, yeah. why, 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 you know, why, why it's, very, it's very much, why didn't you come and get me? Just very much feels like something I would have said if I heard that before is that why, 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 why didn't you come get me right away? But the cool thing is that she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't live in that. She doesn't, because a lot of people, when they're dealing with things, right? She doesn't go resentment with respect to it. She exactly. Has a moment. And she has exactly. a moment. They apologize. They reassure. And she immediately just says, it's okay. It's okay. I, I, that, 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 it, it was a fleeting, it was a fleeting thought. It's very common for people who are dealing with grief. Either they've lost a person or they lost a job or they've, lost a part of themselves either through a health situation or they've gotten older or whatever to lash out at the people closest to them. That's a really common thing that people do. And I thought they were, I thought they were going that route with Shiv that she was going to just basically manufacture resentment here to, because she's angry that her dad died and pointed at her brothers. I'm glad they didn't go that route, but they gave us just enough window that we kind of like for me anyway, I thought, Oh, that's possible. And then they pull it back. These guys could have immediately turned into a nest of vipers and it still would have felt authentic. It feels so much more real and so much more human and so much more effective for this episode that they have brief little flashes of that, but dial it back right away in favor of being supportive of each other. And I, that make, that makes them so much more easy to empathize with compared to some alternative. Kendall reaches over, puts his hand on 
shifts and says, I'm sorry. And she says, it's okay. And she says, it's just that Tom said that Carrie spoke to him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Dad, dad, please don't die. Dad. That's what she said. You, you, you got one, you got one more episode to get that theory proven, man. Otherwise it's out the window. Kendall then says, we don't know if he could hear us. Shiv says, yeah. I guess I'm sad, I guess. And Roman then asked if Logan checked his phone. Did he check his messages? Oh, boy, that's heartbreaking. So when she says, I guess I'm sad, I guess maybe she's moving into the depression part of the of the cycle. Very Roman possible. then starts questioning if he told Logan he loved him. Kendall was saying, yeah, I think he did. And Roman says, no, no, I didn't. He then says, Tom, could you put me back to his ear? Uh, f- fuck it. Never mind. I don't know. I don't know. Never mind. Let's just keep the phone open. So he does it. He's just all over the place. Tom says he'll tell him if anything happens. So he kind of reassures the kids like. I'm here. I'm here, and I'm I'm I got eyes on this. I'm gonna tell you if anything changes. Roman then asks Ken if he can tell Connor. I mean, I, I could. I definitely could. I totally could. I, I me? Are you kidding me? I could. I could crush this. Kendall, can you do it? <laughs> That's exactly what he did. <laughs> could, could, w- w- if you were among that trio, would you have gone and told Connor, or would you have tried to put it on somebody else? Yeah, I would have gone. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I almost want to be the one to go and tell Connor or whatever else. Just like I almost w- wouldn't want to be in that room right now. I'd prefer to be doing something. My problem in those situations is I I have to I have to, I need to I have to tell myself to pull back because I I try to take over. Yeah. I'm, try, I'm trying to make everybody feel better, so I'm like I'll tell Connor, I'll do this, I'll make I'll make that. In in reality, sometimes I just need to fucking just sit down. Uh, but that's that's my default, right? Mm-hmm. So. Kendall just shakes his head and uh, yeah, he'll do it. And he looks at Shiv and Shiv says, do you want me to? And Kendall just shakes his head. Yeah. And she gets up and stands next she to comes, him. Comes with him. And they hold hands as they walk down the hall. Oh, oh, oh. Again. Unbelievable so scene. The, these, are, these are the siblings that are going to be supporting each other. I wouldn't have believed it, but man, it feels real. Yeah. They hold hands as they walk down the hall, Shiv and Connor or Shiv and Kendall. And it was always going to be Shiv and Kendall who deal with this, right? Love Mm -hmm. Roman to death. Roman is not the guy who's going to deal with this. They say, I don't love Roman to death, but you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to disparage his grief. I'm just saying his personality is not the one where he's going to take control in a situation like this. Roman is being as supportive as he can possibly be. And we see several scenes of him being such, but this was not the one where he could, he was not capable of this. They see Connor. He's still on about the cake. And Shiv and Kendall pull Connor aside. This conversation absolutely gut-wrenching. I will tell you right now. This is the hardest scene for me to watch. As far as like things that make me like literally cry. And, and, like, Seeing Connor's reaction? I'm in a middle seat. Flying fucking Delta. Delta stinks. God, you're on a plane for this. I'm on a plane. That. I'm in the middle seat. Flying Delta. I'm flying personal. So there's no economy or nothing. I'm in the yeah. way back. Cattle call. Way back. And I get to this scene and I, I'm, I'm, tears are coming down my face and both people are sitting next to me. And what, and the woman next to me that, that who's, who's on the, um, the window side is like nudging me, asking me if I'm okay. And I'm like, yeah, I've got, I'm, I'm good. Watching TV. I'm good. I'm good. God this, damn it, this is, this is my, this is my second job, sort of. Okay. <laughs> I'm a professional. <laughs> Kendall says, Watch come here for a second. <laughs> Kendall says, come here for a second. And Connor says, is it pop? Is he okay? What is it? Is he sick? I what is it? What is it? Connor and Shiv are immediately on just on message for what this is going to be. They've they, they, they got the radio wavelength. They've got the inbuilt concern of an old parent. Dad's on an airplane to Sweden, but they're they're coming back. We think he died. They 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 think he's dead. Connor says, well, is he? And Kendall says, well, everybody says he is. We don't know. They're doing heart compressions. This is the part that kills me. God. He, he says, oh, man, he never even liked me. 
Hey, hey, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I don't even know what I mean. I, he did, he did. I just, I just never got the chance to make him proud of me. I love that he um, he says that, and that's uh, the first line he said was an on, incredibly honest feeling. With then he reassures Kendall. He, he's reassuring his siblings. He's dialing it back because he saw how sad it made his siblings to see that. And that's that. This is the Emmy scene there for Jeremy Strong because when he says it, they do a shot of Jeremy Strong's reaction, and his he literally his body starts to collapse, and he goes, yeah. "Oh, Connor!" Oh, like and he starts to fall forward as he heard Connor say that, and that's when Connor goes, "Oh, no, no, no! Hey, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He did, he did, he did. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I just never got the chance to make him proud of me." I mean, either of those are killers, but the fact he has to like cover up his own pain for the sake of his siblings right there makes it all the worse. Oh man. He never even liked me. Oh, Ugh. God. It's like he's, you know, it's like. That's he's, your thought when, you're, when, you're, when your father dies. That's the thought you have. Well, you get what the feeling world. that his entire life he's been on that treadmill chasing the carrot, trying to figure out a way to get Logan to like him. And he saw the last God. little last little grain go down the hourglass and he went, I'm out of time and I didn't get it accomplished. He didn't like yeah. me. I didn't. I wasn't able to do it. Basically. Tragic. Honestly, tragic. Shiv tells him that Roman is on the phone to the plane. If he wants to talk to Logan, Connor says he doesn't. He doesn't know. He didn't seem interested in doing can't, that. Can't deal with us right now. Then he says he can't do this, and he pulls away and starts walking away. Connor goes to the roof of the boat, and he goes into a separate standalone room, and he's standing there, and he says, what happened? What happened? And Connor's starting to break now. Connor's starting to yeah. cry. Kendall says he was on the plane, and then he got short of breath, and he said, um, this is Roman. I said, hello, fucky sucky brigade, and he was in the bathroom. Shiv then asks about Logan being in the bathroom. Roman says, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They don't want to talk about that. But he was in trouble, I guess. That, that's the point. That line is what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Where, and you're, you are literally correct. That's why he went in there. Yeah, I don't think he was using the bathroom. I think he was just sitting down. And you know Logan, he didn't want to hurt in front of people. He was trying to do it away from everybody. you got to be strong. Roman then gets on this jag about not knowing he's dead. I mean, a doctor's not seeing him. I mean, you know, we need a doctor yeah. to see him. And it's like, you, you know... You don't want to be harsh. I wouldn't have said this, but the answer is you're Roman, in denial, son. Roman, people know when people are dead. You know, you can look at them, right. tell when they're dead. I mean, you don't need to be a medical professional to know if somebody's heart isn't beating and they're not breathing. Yeah. But, I mean, R- Roman is in hard stage denial at this point for this entire scene. At the point he's even getting angry and aggressive with his siblings, to the point he apologizes for it at times just because he can't, won't even. Let the words be said around him that his dad is dead. Shiv then tries to get all the facts straight, mentioning him being on the toilet, which gets grown from Roman. Then back and forth with Roman, Shiv, and Kendall, all about if Logan is actually dead. Roman is saying over and over again that they don't know until a doctor sees him. Shiv at one point says he sounds delusional, which he does, but it's a hard word to hear at this point. And he kind of snaps a little bit. Kendall also says, I think they know, which is abundantly true. Connor is hugging Kendall, and they are both tearing up. Shiv says, he's fucking dead? So she's still cycling through the oh my gosh like you know like the the denial and the acceptance and the denial and trying to come to terms with it roman then says no they don't know no 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 well okay there's no need to say that until we know that what's the point of keeping on saying that all i'm saying i'm not being crazy i'm saying a fact i'm saying we don't know until we do know it's not a very nice thing to say is it so fucking stop and he screams so fucking stop and he says i'm sorry like seconds after that to to shiv and shiv you know, fucking tough as nails. When he yells, fucking stop it, she doesn't even flinch. She just takes it and listens to him, and then he apologizes. They all know what this is. Roman knows what he's going through right now. He just can't. He's not in a state to process it. It's like when, but when he yelled that, I don't know if you noticed, like Shiv just sort of 
I got the image of like the monster screaming and the and the the hair being blown back of the character, but the character not moving. Yeah, flipping to but, it. But Kendall was like kind of kind of over there panicking a little bit at Roman doing well, that. Yeah. Well, Kendall's trying to be the big brother to everybody right now in this scene, and so he's the one that's being more immediately emotionally in tune with everybody else. Cut to Frank, who closes the door back to the plane now. Who closes the door to the back? He walks out with Carolina, Carl, and Tom. Carl says, I'm going to have a little sniffner here, gents. <laughs> Carolina, pardon me. Let's Fair. drink, let's drink to him. Um, Tom says, well, I guess we're off the clock. Tom goes to humor faster than the rest of the group. And I don't, he's, he's batting such a high percentage with how he's dealing with the kids. He has my full, it, yeah, he has a lot of rope in my, my book to tell the jokes he needs to tell. And like you said, I mean, I, I, I think this, this joke was perfectly reasonable. If anything, it was fairly mild. It was appropriately mild for Tom here. It was mild. Uh, yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting to see how each of them are processing it. Like you, like you said, where Frank's trying to be, Frank and Tom are trying to be emotionally supportive. Everybody they're trying to carry the room. Carl's having a fucking drink and dealing with this. And Carolina, the rock, the person that, like you said, probably seeks a certain refuge in being productive is already pondering the next three steps of what they need to be doing. It's interesting you use the word rock because I wouldn't have used that for her. I think that what she's doing is another form of unhealthy coping that's no different than sitting and polluting yourself being drunk. It's it's she's not addressing the situation and she's doing something that is pretty unnecessary. I mean, some of this necessary, but a lot of it's unnecessary because she doesn't want to face what's going on. I, I more mean she's representing that she's the rock rather than she actually is. She's trying to indicate that I'm being professional, I'm being productive as as you said, as her means of coping. Yeah, I. And maybe I'm being overly harsh to Carolina, but I, I just felt like what she was doing was I can't deal with this. And what I do, what I do when I, when I'm putting my head back in the turtle shell is I work like that's what Carolina does. It, and she she's says, not wrong though, that there are a lot of things to get fucking done right now. And I'm sure Logan had none of them prepared. <laughs> sure. I'm not sure they have to do it right this second, but yes, some of this stuff does need to happen. Carolina says, I'm not happy about it, Carl. We're all being respectful. I'm being respectful. If we get a miracle, we get a miracle. God bless us all. I just have to prepare. That's all. Again, I just have to prepare. That's all I felt like was kind of telling. And then when she says that, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, Frank gives this nod to the rest of them, like, let her do this. Like he gives this really command, like Frank takes control of the situation and he gives this really commanding look and he does it again later with Carrie, where Mm. he kind of motions to the rest of them about how to deal with somebody. Frank, Frank is, though no one is literally saying I'm in charge here, as you said, Frank's gestures carry a lot of weight. So Carolina recoils, retreats back into work. Carl drinks. He is escapism. Mm. Frank takes care of others. Tom in this moment seems to isolate. He's just sitting there by himself dealing with things. So that's how the, that's how I, I've tracked the four characters. Literally so here in a minute. And then Carrie, who we get later, um, laughs and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm all about let's make fun of carrie she deserves every bit of making fun of her but that is something that people do like well, that, I, that's I, the uncomfortable like the the inappropriate laughing at funerals is a real phenomenon I, I think it was frank that was one that defended her here where i think tom i think she's processing shock right now yeah everybody deals with things differently i was always a crier when you you, you had to go to i'm sure you i'm gonna force out some fucking personal stories of you um, you had to, I'm sure as a kid, you had to go to funerals from time to time. Men do a couple. Yeah. But I'm talking about when you were a kid specifically. Okay. Did you, when you were a kid, did you cry at funerals or were you one of these kids that tried to be too cool for it? Neither. I was confused. I mean, the, the earliest funerals I went to was with my grandfather and 
the part that just I didn't know how to process was how sad my dad was. Because my dad, it, that, kind of, that kind of just level of grief is not something I'd seen out of him at that point or just knew how to process. And so it was, I almost felt kind of removed from it because I didn't know how to process it like, what, seven or eight? My parents being that level of sad and not knowing what to do about it. I always cried. I remember one time I cried for my, I think it was my great grandmother's funeral and the rest of the kids in the car in the, like the hearse or what, or not the hearse, the limo were making fun of me, like my cousins and stuff. My brother was like, shut that shit up. Like my brother's 10 years older than them. Like told him I'll shut up. But I was always the guy who was crying. Like I, that's just, I, 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 I'm not going to shock you. You've probably seen me cry a hundred times. I, I always cried at funerals. 47 actually, according to the count I've got, but I I cry a lot. I, I have never. I think it's accurate. I have not cried at a funeral I've been to. Wow, interesting, huh? Okay. <laughs> don't don't figure I surprise you too much with that line. It kind of does though, because I, I don't know. I thought I, you... I, I've, I've been to probably about eight or nine funerals. I some people were very, I was quite close with, but I I don't think I've ever cried at a funeral. Never at the funeral. Again, I, I wrestling play up your emotional, like sort of isolation and resentment. You're not really that. You talk to me about things and stuff, but like, I, I didn't expect you to be like overly sobbing at funerals, but that does surprise me. You've never cried at a funeral at all. Um, wonder if that holds the rest of your life or how that goes. There's some big ones potentially to come. We'll see. All right. We'll check in in 30 years. Carolina says (laughs) they should, they should call Matson. At least tell him he's delayed. Finally get a funny line in the episode. Oh, he's heavily fucking delayed. Carl. That's Carl. Yeah. (laughs) He's, he's, Carl and Tom bringing the humor right now. He's two or three shots of bourbon in and he's just says, Oh, he's heavily fucking delayed. This is the type of shit you get in an Irish wake, by the way. Yes. Carolina then says that no particular order. The board, Jerry POTUS, president of the United States, needs to know. Jerry then walks in from the back. Carl asks how she is. Carrie is dealing with it by stepping away, not being present. She's, um, she's, it's she's surreal to her. What is the, what is the word? I've been fucking looking D- for this word. There it is. God, this is why you're a podcast professional. She now. disassociates. That's what yeah. she seems to be doing here. She's trembling and crying and laughing. And she goes, Hey, uh, that was fucking nuts. Wasn't it? That was fucking crazy. Right. Yeah. Carl's like, yeah. Frank says, yeah, we're in shock. She says, that's so fucking weird. So the Carolina, she could really use a hug. This is a person that could really use a hug. Right? I thought Tom was going to do it. I really did. I really thought Tom was going to do it, but we turned, we realized I, later that Tom. I, I think really Frank was the closest in the room, actually, from in terms of him being able to understand what she's going through. After the fact, you're right. I, I think, I think, I think what we got in the scene is that Frank was the closest, but I don't know. I had in my head Tom would do it. So one thing that happens here is Carolina, who has to work, is telling them we're using this space she's for work. We're, we're, we're using this space for work. She Ca- quickly tries to box Carrie out, which is interesting. Yeah, and she's get. By the way, Carrie, you're done. Like yeah, you, you're, you're done. You were the personal assistant, and that was also either you know may, fucking him or his daughter, depending on theories here. Uh, most likely fucking him. Your your role is over now. Your base of power is dead and gone. This is a lot. Probably one of the last times you're going to be on a private plane. So she tries to say, well, can I be a part of the response? And and Carolina basically says no. No. And she asks the second time, and you notice that Frank goes, that would be great. That'd be great, Carrie. We really we really want you. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. If you just go sit down for a, a little bit, we'll we'll get our thoughts we'll together and we'll come get you. Run everything by you. What, he, a, he, what a moment. Frank, what a guy. It, Frank with the emotional intelligence and hel- hel- helping people cope. 
I thought that was a really slick move by him. It was. Saying, yeah, well yeah, because yeah. he 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 was the only one in the group that figured out what she needed to hear was yes, yes, yes. We're, give, we we need your help. Give her the slightest little branch. Give her the slightest hint that she can still be useful and productive and part of this. Whether she and she seems to consciously realize that they're still exiling her, but she's giving he's giving her a graceful way to do it. Tom then gives this look like what after, after Carrie walks away, like what the fuck, Carolina says. Trying to stop Tom from saying what he's about to say. She's like, well, I think she's freaking out, Tom. Tom gives this line, visual line of the episode. Oh, yeah? Judging by her grin, it looks like she caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium. It's a great line. Great line. And you notice when he says it, Carolina goes, okay, all right. Moving we're moving on. on. So they hand Tom a list of names. They could potentially divide them all up. Tom sees them and goes, some of these are really small. Can we get Carrie to do these? She goes, oh, now you want Carrie to do it. Carl says, chuckles the clown. I think not. I, I don't think Carrie's in a position right now to be handling that. I think could have been said more artfully, but Carl, I think he got through it right there. Cut to Tom, who walks back to a bedroom on the plane, and he calls Greg. Hey, Tom. Hey, Greg. Hey, I uh, I, I might need you to whiz into the office for me. Greg just still doesn't know. Says, it's wedding day. I'm not working. And Tom says, because Logan's dead. I, and I... I really find it interesting that Greg, this may reflect just the intrinsic, maybe excessive trust that Greg has for Tom, doesn't second guess it for an instant. Just no. immediately, immediately just like, Uncle Logan's dead? And just oh, really? goes with it from there. Yeah, his first question is how. He doesn't go, no, he's not, or are you sure? He just goes, how? Tom tells Greg to stick to Sid like a limpet. What's a limpet? Do you know? Isn't it like a fish of some kind? What a strange reference. Stick to Sid like a limpet. He needs to delete Tom's folder mark logistics, and then you delete that from the trash. It's an aquatic snail. So, yeah, that kind of thing. What do we think? Oh, aquatic snail, so it latches onto the fish. Yeah. What do we think is in Tom's folder mark logistics? Uh, the plan for killing, well, that, metaphorically killing um, Sid. Sid, yeah. Agreed. He, he realizes now that, that Logan never had a chance to fire Sid. Sid's not going to be fired. He has to work with her now. He wants to get rid of all the evidence that he was planning to shiver. Right yeah, back. Or, or just even his plans of when he took over, what the, what he would be doing. Just any, any potential evidence. Not the character shift, the, the thing you make in prison. Yes. Um, he'll be, he'll be killing Sid with Shiv, yes. You see how, you see how paranoid I am? People are going to say I don't like Shiv. I, I have to remind everybody all the way through the episode. I like Shiv. I don't dislike Shiv. She's great. Good lord. Um, mm. so he says, you sing my song, Merry Christmas, Greg. And Greg goes, what? Like, that, that's kind of odd, right? What do you mean? And Tom says, well, he's passed away and you've lucked out. And yeah, what's at the bottom of your stocking, Greg? An old guy who fucking hated you. And he goes, Tom, man, easy, dude. Are you okay? And Tom just goes, I'm not okay. I'm not uh, okay. And Tom apologizes. Tom I'm says sad. he's sorry. He I'm recognizes sorry. that he went too far with this, that he's just responding in a position of not being able to deal with his own grief and turmoil and loss. And then he explains. Yes. So he, he says, I'm not They're okay. Buddies. He answers the question, says, I'm not okay. He apologizes. And he goes, dude, it was pretty grim, man. Because he was like watching him. He says, I lost my protector, okay? And this is total lockdown, okay, Greg? If this leaks, it's a stock price rodeo and a fucking slit throat for the big mouth. But people should know I was with him. People should know I was with him. This is where I think Greg heard, okay, I need to start getting that story around. So yeah. I'm okay who, to leak it. Who was commanding the ship at this hour? I'm okay to leak it, but I have to leak it with the with old Tom Wamsgam was right there. And he was on top of it. And he was right next to Logan. He was holding his hand as he died and the whole thing. So... Um, they hang up and 
Tom just sits there for a second. Greg turns around and all the people. To I the love journalist. Him. I know. He turns around to the journalist, but you notice everybody had left him. Yeah. <laughs> people don't wait around for Greg. It doesn't seem no, poor, no, poor not, guy. not that important. He wa- oh, not, oh gosh, harsh. Uh, he See, walks there, up. There are many Greg, little, Greg, little Gregs around. We've heard this. We've seen it. We see him at the back of the plane. Look at all those Gregs. Greglets. What's the what's the Lee thing? The other Lees Le- you have? Leelings. Leelings. Yeah, you got a lot of those. A lot of other Leelings. You can just run the recap for you. See, uh, says he walks over to the journalist, and the journalist says, "Do you think your uncle's going to make it?" Little cheeky joke there. He says, "Oh, what?" He says, "Do you think your uncle's going to make it to the wedding?" Hugo, we're almost done with the recap here. Hugo then goes, uh, walks in the room with the kids. They seem surprised he knows. And Hugo explains the people on the plane thought it would be smart for him to act as a liaison with them, which is smart. Yeah. Gives them a break. I mean, remind me, Hugo is basically like Carolina's number two in terms of like his role in marketing, right? I don't know. Is he Carolina's number two? He, he, when Carolina calls him, he seems to be deferential to her, but it could just be that she's at ground zero. Because I think Carolina is like the marketing director, and I think Hugo is like, you know, a vice, a senior pre- a vice president or something of marketing. Well, senior vice presidents are always over directors. So I don't know. Anyway. I, um, I don't know how this company works. Yeah, well, that that's kind of industry-wide terms. I, I would think she would need to be like EVP and he would be senior VP. Here's what I know about Carolina. She makes a million dollars a year. Logan I, we, Logan dropped we, we, we that last that season. Figure. Logan threw that right in her face last season. I know that she makes a million dollars a year. Um, uh, regardless, Hugo's the guy. Hugo's the guy on scene. He, he says, "I'm sorry for your loss." And Roman says, "We don't know shit. They're still working on him." And you know, Hugo says, "Okay, okay." And then and then somebody says something about a test, and then and then Shiv says, "If it's a test, hats off on the planning department." Yeah, yeah. Roman says, "It doesn't feel like." He's, um, you know, so he's saying he doesn't feel like he's dead yet. Basically, is that what he's saying? Yeah. Phone rings. Kendall picks it up. Hey, Tom. Fine. Okay. Okay. Thank you. He turns around. And he says they stopped the CPR. Yeah. This is the part I was talking about with you. There could be no more conclusive moment to even Roman at this point that your dad is dead. Roman says, well, they shouldn't do that, but he's dead. Right. No. Kendall hands the phone to Hugo. Carolina wants to talk to him. This is the point you're talking about where he is deferential to Carolina. You know, I think you're right. I think he, he does work under Carolina. At mm. this point, fucking boat pulls away. Unbelievable. Nobody thought to tell the Timing. boat to pull away. The kids are like, where the fuck are we going? Kendall then asks Hugo. To the, to the Statue of Liberty. To find out. Yeah. There's a bum fight to greet your There's dad's death. Statue of Liberty. Bum fight. We need to get rap, rappers out there to, to mm-hmm. perform the ceremony. Kendall then asks Hugo to find out where they are going. Hugo explains to Kendall that they are starting to draft a statement. Kendall's like, how do you mean statement? So there's a, there's a lot of tension about this statement in the, in the remainder of the episode. Who, who's controlling the message? Kendall says, that feels, that feels. Now, first time I heard that, I thought he was saying that feels premature. I don't think that's what he's saying. I actually think what he's saying is that feels like a power move by them. I agree. I think he's very, I don't think Kendall's like, you know, trying to deny that, you know, we shouldn't release a statement saying our dad is there, whatever else. I think he's just recognizing that who controls the message here has a lot of power. Kendall says, who hey, Hugo. delivers the message has a lot of power. So Hugo, you're, I think you're right. Hugo's got to be not quite at a level with some of the rest of these. Cause this is what Kendall says to him. Hey, Hugo, can you fuck off and find out what's happening with this boat? I want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> I saw him going to talk to you all weekend in New Orleans. Hey, Spencer, can you fuck off and get us a reservation for that oyster bar? Just in New Orleans? Isn't this how you talk to me all the time? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I run a, I run a tight ship here at Mangum Talks. It's, it's a good point. But if they'd said this to like Frank, Carl, Jerry, particularly Jerry, if they said Jer- this to Jerry, oh, can you Jerry would have told him to fuck off back. Absolutely. Kendall said, Hey, Jerry, can you fuck off and go find out about the boat? Jerry would be like, You find out about the boat, jackass. 
<laughs> yeah, Roman then calls them uh, and puts them on speaker. Shiv asks about the statement. Carolina says, well, we're just starting to put the bones together for what it, we're going to announce. It is important that they do this. And it, you know, they're doing their job with respect to getting this kind of message prepared now. I'm going to stiff arm you about the work thing, the whole conversation. I know you are, but I'm... Because I'm, you, you would default to work. I know you jobs. would. I, no, no. They don't have to do this right this second. And there's other, there's a lot of other people in this company who could help with this. I think there's a lot of steps that got to get done. And if there's business I don't responsible for them have, in their roles, it's to, to get them in order. I don't think you have to do it 30 minutes when the corpse is sitting right next to you. He's, I don't 12, think. he's 12 feet away. You can move it a few other inches. It makes you uncomfortable. Get the job done. I knew this part of the episode you'd latch onto and you'd go, yep, that's what yep, I would do. It's time to work. It, let's do some work. Yay, work. Yep. Work. Get, I, I love work. I don't need emotions. Emotions are for later me. Uh, yeah. And that, and you know what? But that is, this is such a great conversation we're having because like, I think this is how it would play out between the two of us. Yes. I would. think you, I think you'd say something like, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. And I'd say, no, no, no. You know what we need to do? We need to like deal with our emotions and grieve and talk. And you'd be like, shut the fuck up with that. Would you please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our friend Doug just died. Here's the list of people we got to call. Here's the list of the, thing, the list of authorities we got to contact. Like, no, we, we need to grieve over Doug. No, no, no. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Right now. Things to do. Yeah. But Spencer, how do you feel? <laughs> I feel I want to get these eight things done in the next hour. Thank you. <laughs> Shiv says it feels pretty presumptuous. Again, I first time through thought she was saying presumptuous that he's dead. I don't think that's what she's saying. I think she's presumptuous saying presumptuous that these non-family members. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Frank then says he's sorry if it seems that way, but no matter their personal feelings, this is a material event. Now that is sort of important that you have Frank's to report. Come on, give me Frank's trying to do his job here. Uh, he is. You do have to report material events to publicly traded companies, to the owners Cheryl's as soon as enough. possible. We just need the board to put something together, reassure the market. Roman scoffs at the comment about the market. We have a really haymaker. This it, is a Randy Savage it, off the top line. Killer line. It silences their backs, their little backbiting, whatever else, completely. Elbow off the top rope. I'm trying to do my job. He's like 12 feet away, and I knew him for 40 years. We're not pulling anything here. Carl says, "I, I believe him completely with that line." I do too. I believe. I don't believe Carl's trying to do anything, and I honestly don't believe Carolina's doing anything well, nefarious at I, this point. At this point, Frank, Frank, Carl, Carolina. I think whether you think Carl that's wants coping, to drink. What? Carl wants to drink. Yeah. Carolina, I think, is hiding in work. And Frank, Maybe. I think, is doing his job. I do think later it starts to become a power discussion. I think they try to insert their names into yes. it. Yes. Like putting together the statement, necessary. List of people to contact, necessary. My role in what happened, personal. Yep. Kendall then pushes back on the... So um, Carl says, we just thought since you were estranged, you might want to be... You know, you want us to help on this. And Carl, Kendall then pushes back on the word estranged. He does this, not this like is, that word estranged. This is quick on Kendall's part. Credit. Kendall quickly gets this narrative spun around. He doesn't want the word estranged because if if they were estranged, then they would have less to do with pretty much everything, right? Yes. Doesn't like that. He says, we were at a family function the night before. <laughs> we were doing karaoke together as a family. He says this what, with a straight face. We were at a family function. Do you notice? You notice Shiv bristle at that when he said family function the night before. Shiv shot her shot her spine up and was just yeah. like, what? "What?" Hey, I don't think there's a level of closeness closer than karaoke family event. Really, honestly, I think that's a whole new category that they can represent. Well, we're going to be doing some karaoke soon, so it's exciting. We'll see if it makes us closer. I'm not convinced. Oh, Spencer doing karaoke. Oh, it's going to be so fun. Carol then says, "Okay, okay, we we got it. Hey, look, hey." Hey, let, let's let's stay close. Best of you guys. Good strength, friends. I don't think Carl nailed that ending. I don't think so. I think it sounded 
fake. Carl's, Carl's trying, but I think of the room, he's the one that's still finding his foot in the most. I'm not sure it was fake from Carl. I, th- I just don't think the kids took I, that well. I just don't think he knows what to say. I, I don't. I, I don't think any of these guys is faking this actual moment. They hang up, and Tom says they are very much still processing. And that's what he's trying to explain to the room. We see a shot of the boat. We see Kendall. We see Roman. He gets irritated that Jerry walks in. She asks about how they are doing. She says she's sorry. She's very sorry. He was in a an important man in all our, our lives, especially yours. Thanks, Jer. I'm welling up, says Roman. Yeah. Um, well, it's hard. I mean, what do you, what do you this is a very it, tough situation, Jerry's in. He, the man just fired her. Yeah, it didn't go through. Did no, not go through. It didn't, but she knows he wanted to. And for a very, very bullshit reason. They're, they're all trying. As we said here, Frank who we've been given a lot of compliments, flubbed the last line a little bit there because he doesn't know what to say. Now Jerry's there on site. What what can she say right now for a person which she, she own herself has some very conflicted feelings on the subject of the man? All right. If by some weird event you actually outlive me and somebody says this at my funeral, <laughs> I need you to stand up and tell him to sit the fuck down. She says, I mean, he was a lot of things. I don't want it. I don't want that line ever said. Let's say that. I don't want to hear that. He was a lot of things. What? You don't want me to hang a poster that just says that over the coffin? He was a lot of things. Yeah, like maybe an embroidered flag or something. He was a lot of things. No, that's it. When somebody says he was a lot of things, that is code for. I didn't like that motherfucker. There could not be a more loaded term to describe the deceased. (laughs) Roman says they don't know he's dead. No doctor has seen him. He's still in denial. Uh, Telling him that a doctor needs to see someone for him to be dead. As if it's a medical mystery if somebody drops dead. They know he's dead. They're that looking man, at a corpse. I, there's a certain point you can eyeball this, Roman, and that man is dead. And here's how I know that part of Roman knows that's true. Because he's he's lambasting everybody in the room about this concept that a doctor has to see him. But he really doesn't hit the people who are st- sitting next to the corpse very hard about no. it. Because he knows they're just going to say he because he, he he doesn't want to have that conversation with them. He doesn't because, want to hear that his heart's not beating. He doesn't yep. want to hear that he's not breathing. He doesn't you got want to it. hear that he's cold. He doesn't want to hear any of the details that confirm his dad's death. Kendall then tells Jerry they have a little time to talk until they land. Are you thinking we can hold this information till the market closed? This is a very significant private thing, is Jerry talking, but it's also a significant thing for the public, for the company. Kendall says he doesn't know if he can get into it. Like Kendall, just be honest. I don't know if I can get into it. Shiv then ask if they can keep the plane up there for an extra beat. Ugh. Not her best suggestion, but I think no. she realizes that. Roman starts yelling at her. Roman yells at her and she bails out of that completely and just says she has a headache and she just backs up, which yeah. I mean, full sympathy for that. Yeah. Hugo asks if they want to see if the plane can circle around for a bit. Shiv says not until the, not until the market's open on Monday, but just, you know, so, so we can think. Jerry goes outside to talk to Carolina. Roman says, no. Can't do that. She also asked for an Advil. Somebody get her yeah. a fucking Advil, please. Hugo scurries off. Please. Uh, and and we can get back to fucking land. Roman thanks him for getting Jerry. Thank you for getting Jerry. Uh, but says he wants to go to land. Kendall then says, now this is where Kendall comes in because he's heard this thing about keeping the plane up there, right? And this is where he, I think, really helps the situation. This is Kendall doing what he, this is Kendall doing what he thinks his dad would be doing in this situation and just being calculated controlled and thinking three steps ahead. It, it, it is Kendall at his most professional. It's I think, Ken, I think Kendall this is not getting in his own fucking way the way Kendall does. That's a really, that's absolutely right. I think that this is, this is Kendall at his best because this is what, not because like 
I'm happy that he's gone into this sort of like detached professional mode. I'm happy that he's providing the room what the room needs because this idea of keeping the plane up there is not a good idea. And so he's, he's able to talk them about why, talk to them about why that's not a good idea. And I think, I mean, you're, you're, you're assigning this to Carolina, which I think is a fair, is a, a, a definitely a possible read. I think he could also can assign it to Kendall to a certain degree too, of where I think he's seeking a certain degree of refuge in control and in setting a bit of a narrative for them, setting steps. I think that's a certain measure of coping on his part too, just the same as it was, he was of him supporting his siblings. Very well could be, but it's really hard to tell, right? Because like of course. some of this needs to happen and you don't know how much of it is just him being in denial and not wanting to deal with this. He does seem like he's, he's, he's let it sink in at least. Right. But he does tell the kids, he's like, basically this is the day that our dad died. Like everything that we do, is going to be remembered. And so if we tell them to keep the plane up there, somebody gets on to that information. History. People are going to call us cold for cold hearted and everything. It's not going to be good. Right. So he basically explains like that's not a good idea. We are liable to misinterpretation. So what we do today will always be what we did the day our father died. Let's grieve or whatever, but not do anything that restricts our future freedom of movement. That line. So what we do today will always be what we did the day our father died. Oh, that's a quotable line right there. That's a powerful line. It is, and it tells so much about the shadow that they've lived in their whole life. Yeah, they're in the public sphere. This is always going to be subject to history. Cut to Connor and Willa, and they're trying to decide if they should continue on with the wedding. Willa's sort of looking to Connor to tell her, which is fair. It's like, your dad died. You should tell me. He says, let's cancel at first. Then he says, well, everybody will assume it's you backing out, and that's fine. Or or could something good come out of something bad? She kind of calls it. She's like, yeah. You, come on, man. Kind of feels like you want to do it. And then he gets this. This is, I didn't think Connor could be any more tragic. Holy shit. I don't know. Hell of a time for an honest conversation between two people. I don't know. I guess the truth is I'm scared if we don't that you'll walk away. I'm always scared you'll walk away. I'm so much older than you, Willa, and you're young and you're full of life. I don't know. My father's dead and I feel old. And I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I guess I just stole you away from the world. And she's like, no, 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 no. And, they, they kind of, and then he says, are you basically with me for money? Mm-hmm. And she kind of says, yeah. But I love how I, I felt like her answer was honest because it says, I mean, yeah, money, safety, those are there. But I'm happy and I'm not going anywhere. It's like, I believe you. I, I think you answered that as best you could right then. Yeah. And, you know, like, the, I mean, I she, think. Money and safety with marrying somebody like Connor is always going to be part of the equation. He's, he's rich. That is at least background for anybody that would be marrying him. Yeah, I mean, you but know, she I, she doesn't say she loves him. I don't think she does, but I think she expresses why she expresses something still. It's not what you want to hear on your wedding day, which is basically not "I love you," but you know, you make me safe and I'm happy. It's not not the best, but you know this this concept that like people don't marry people for money, or at least money isn't part of the calculation. Is, Bullshit. I don't care how much they love each other. It's part of it. It's kind of a childish way of looking at it, right? I mean, it is because like when, like the reality is that most adults, if they're getting married when they're adults, not when they're fucking 16 or something, mm-hmm. they do think about that. Like what the assets the other person has, jobs they have, if they're capable of making <laughs> the, money, all the that stuff of the other person. is all of that's thought about, right? Yeah. Law school debt, huh? It's a fun thing. Yeah. Cut back to Shiv. Roman asked Shiv what it was like when Kendall told her. They're kind of decompressing now and they're saying, hey, what was it like when, when you heard? And she says, she claims she knew it was dad, but she, she was saying mom. She actually says this, Spencer. I was hoping it was mom. 
She says the words out loud. Keep those in your head, Jesus. No, don't keep them. No, say it. If that's oh. what you're feeling, that's okay to say it. I what? mean, if it's a safe space. It's a, it, it's a surprisingly safe space among these people right now of where they acknowledge that that is a horrible thought and they move on. I was really proud of her for saying it because, I mean, like, acknowledge it. If that's what you were feeling, I don't know. Acknowledge it. It's not an easy thing to do. Keeping that in, I'm not sure what that does. She, get, she gets sad. Roman says, Jesus. Shiv says she can't do the list. She can't do the list. Roman points out their dad just died. They don't have to do anything. Kendall says, we'll be okay. We'll get a funeral off the rack. We can do Reagan's with tweaks. Okay, you are more politically in the know than I am. Could you describe? Are you capable of describing what a Reagan with tweaks is? Does it involve one of them hugging the coffin at some point? Kinda. I mean, Nancy Reagan went up there and fell over the coffin. Yeah, yeah. that's the main visual I've got of a Reagan Reagan funeral. Yeah, I mean, Reagan's funeral was pretty pretty quick and dirty. I mean, they they got that they got that thing over with quick because he had been sort of toiling for like ten twelve years with Alzheimer's and yeah. Um, was bedridden the last couple of years of his life. So they didn't do a big production. Um, I mean, it, I mean, of course it was a big production as ex-president, but not as big as some of other ex-presidents. Sure. I think another, another political funeral that was not very big was Lyndon Johnson. And I think there was a lot of political reasons for that because there's still so much resentment about the Pretty Vietnam war. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he basically drank himself to death after he became, after he got out of the off, out, out, out of office. And so people didn't really want to highlight that either. I think those are the two presidential funerals that really, Really weren't that big. I think if you're looking at the real big ones, George H. W. Bush was a was a big affair. Yes, it was. Um, and then they had that. I don't know if you remember that they had the dog there for I H. W. Bush. I do. I do. Yeah, that was that visual stuck out. Wonderful visual, right? Did you know he had the dog for six months before he died? No, and I'm kind of disappointed to know that now. I know. To the visual as much. I know. I mess up everything on <laughs> the podcast. Son of a really, bitch. I really do. You're taking uh, you're taking Pedro Pascal and Mando away from me. Now you're taking Bush's dog. God, what a jerk I am. Cut to Jerry, who has Caroline on speakerphone with the kids. I just got a call from the reporter. So there, somebody's already hurt. Somebody's already hurt. Possibly and I Greg. think it's Greg. It's not, it's, it is the, the scenario Caroline offers is also perfectly plausible. Is that they do just listen to radio chat? Maybe. Um, we also don't know what the radio chatter was like. I mean, maybe the pilots were being very cagey about what was going on. I don't know. But, but, just, and the reporter is cagey. It says there's something about Logan's health. If they knew I, he was dead, they'd be out there more. I thought that was her. Nuancing it a bit? Yes, because she kind of pauses. She goes, they've already heard Logan's a rumor about uh, uh, Logan's health. I think. Yeah. I think they had, yeah, anyway. Possible. That's possible. Roman says, how, how? Kendall's checking the time. Tom then says they need to figure out the choreography. Shiv says, oh, yeah, you want to choreograph some stuff? So my dead father, Tom, is that the dance you like? I love the look that Tom just gives. It's just like, no. It, 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 it's not engaging. It's not at all. It's that we're not doing that right now. And Shiv immediately pulls it back. Just like, I'm sorry. Go he on. says, it's okay. It's a, It's a difficult day. Tom is doing so great. I'm mm-hmm. so proud of Tom. Tom Wamsgams. Mm-hmm. What does she call him? The kid from St. Paul? The kid from St. Paul would represent. kid right from St. Paul is doing great. Carolina says they need a statement. She asks the kids if they want to do it. Jerry says they can do it. And if you like, you can be excused from the board meeting on compassionate grounds. So what do you think the chances Kindle does not go to that board meeting are? Zero. Completely zero. Kendall could Negative actively, Kendall would Kendall would have himself hauled in while they were doing chest compressions on him to be at that board meeting. Yeah, I, there's a chance Roman might not go, but fucking Kendall will be there. Shiv asked for five. Kendall says he doesn't want to do. He wasn't. He doesn't like. So they're they're up there. They're up on the top of this boat, right? It's just the kids talking, and they stiff arm Hugo a few times. They tell Hugo to stay away while I have this conversation. 
Kendall actually says this, which I feel like, you know, it does seem like in moments this episode he wants to be the big brother, but there's also moments where he, he, he feels the weight of it. And he says, I don't want to have to be the person to say things. And Shindle says, Shiv jumps in and says, it's okay. It's okay. I can, I can talk for a second, right? Yeah. And then Kendall says, hand and crown. Let's finish the sale, okay? But we could we could keep our options open, right? Kendall basically tells Hugo not to come near. Roman then says he doesn't know if he could do anything or talk to anyone right now. He thinks he's useless. His fucking dad just died. Shiv then says they need to be on the statement. The subtext has to be, but Roman Roy, Kendall Roy, and Shiv Roy, we're all here. So yeah. we're starting to get to a point of the episode. So the last about 30 minutes, I've been bawling my eyes out. They start to become assholes again slowly, and I start to like cry a little bit less. They start to become imminently self-interested self-interested machiavellian practical they're they're still processing the death of their dad but now they're thinking about how it affects them spencer and carolina are in the back of the jet just hammering away on a computer just we'd be productive as all hell billable hours a lot of billable hours on that plane with i'm writing that stuff down everything the moment we took (laughs) off was billable roman says i just don't want carolina to hand it all kendall says before the board to, the, to decide for the markets, we need to be in control us until the board can meet. Roman says, I don't want any, I don't want anything happening that we don't approve. So yeah, 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 sure. Okay. Okay. I, I'm good with your plan. Kendall. Right? Yes. Shifton says, Hugo, come over. Kendall says, they'll draft this statement. Hugo doesn't argue. And again, I think you, you raised a really good point about Hugo's place in the hierarchy because he just goes, okay, fine. Yeah, I mean, because like, even when he got that sort of nutty idea from Shiv to keep the plane in the air, he goes, okay, do you want oh, me to ask? I, I've got the phone. Can we send the order? He, he is being an intermediary. Right. So I don't I don't think he's really the one making any decisions here, right? Um, so then he asked who will call, Hugo asked who will call Matt's and they all look at Roman and with, Roman's like, same as their dad did. You've uh, got to connect with him. You've got a connection with him. And Roman goes, I know, but, and I think what he's saying is, I know I should be the one to call him, but I don't want to do it right now. Yeah. What he's saying. And they seem to concede to that for now. It's like, it's your job to Roman walks in and sees Jerry says, I need the room. I think he's going to call Matt's and yeah. uh, Jerry's getting her stuff together. And uh, Roman says, I'm pretty sad. And Jerry won't look at him. He says, I'm actually pretty numb, but theoretically you'd say I'm pretty sad. Jerry gets up and leaves and does not engage, doesn't leave, make eye contact with him. I was kind of surprised there with that. I was expect, I I was, if he had not fired her early in the episode, I think she would have engaged with him. But it's, here she's being much more closed off. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you felt about that. So so your interpretation is that she's still angry about the firing before and she just doesn't want to engage with him? I think I, I mean, I. We've seen her emotionally connect with him before and support him before and deal with many things before. This is nowhere near that. She was supporting him with much less significant moments and much less honest emotions coming out of him. Their relationship has changed. And I think the events of today drew, drew, really hammered in an even further wedge. I think that she used to engage with him emotionally and she's kind of scared to ever do it again because he took it so far. Um, making it sexual and doing weird stuff and like really threatening her, get, putting we, her job in jeopardy. We, I mean, she he certainly threatened her job and put it in jeopardy. But it, it was an interesting relationship where people are debating endlessly online. You and I debated the same same degree. To what degree she on this very do, podcast? To, to what degree she was also a voluntary participant, at least some of it. But I do think she regretted it. Yes, absolutely. Then we get some succession music. But Martin, her new boyfriend, I think is just a stiff arm boyfriend. 
You ever, mm. heard, of, you ever heard of a stiff arm boyfriend? You see, you weren't in the dating market. Let me explain to you what this is. Please, go on. All right. So a guy is dating a girl, right? Yes. And really, they get really close. Okay. And the girl is trying to break up with the guy, but has trouble with it. Like, guy might show up 12 o'clock at night. They both had half a bottle of wine. Things might happen. The girl regrets it. He's like, God damn it. I keep trying to quit this guy yeah. and I can't do it. You get a stiff arm boyfriend. You get a boyfriend that just acts as an intermediary. You don't really like the guy, but it's just to get the other guy away. <laughs> He's a cover. I think that's what Barton is. Then we finally get, get, by the way, this whole, this whole sequence of dealing with Logan's death, there's been no music, which is very strange. Oh, for succession. Yeah. Not a bit. No music. And then we finally get the succession music again, right? It finally breaks back in. We see the kids getting off the boat to a different boat, clearly taking them to shore. They get to shore. They get in a helicopter. They take off. We see Logan's plane landing. We see an ambulance and police pull up. We see the kids walking across the tarmac. We see Hugo going up to Carl and Frank and they shake hands. We see Carolina getting off the plane. She says, how are we getting him off? Great question. Great That's question. A, again, she's she's thinking about the necessary steps here. And that is what I would I had not thought of until she brought it up. It's like, Hugo oh. says he doesn't know. He doesn't know. But he'll handle it. So he basically says, I'll handle it. Frank then mentions that they have edits to the statement, specifically himself, Jerry, and Carl need to be mentioned by name. Hugo mentions they have press around. So <laughs> this is the battle of the statement. Who's going to be named in the statement as still be? Because there's a battle for control, right? Does it work out how they want, apparently, if the statement that we get later is actually also the official statement? Yeah. I I, I also had some questions about if it was. We get this extremely... I think, I think, that, I think they're talking about two different statements, effectively, here. But I, I think know. so, too. I think it's the, the one that the board will be releasing... And then there was the, like, okay, the press who yeah. showed up here at the airport. So, this is what we're going to tell them. I think that's my impression of where the kids are just trying to get out first with their message, but I think these guys were crafting what would go to the board and be a, the official company release. So we get this extremely sad shot of Colin. I mean, just that unbelievable. Was so brief. It was so brief but powerful of where it was just that he looked lost. He looked scared. He looked sad. He lost his best bud. I mean, I saw some people online comparing it to like, um, did you ever watch Futurama? No. There's there's, a, there's an episode of Futurama where it's a dog just waiting for its master for days and months and years just because they were asked to wait for them to come back. And there was definitely a touch of that of where he's just looking at the doorway to the plane. It's like, he's, is he still going to come? Is there still a hope he's going to walk down those stairs? I also think that there's a, a part of that that R- Logan called Colin, his best pal. Yeah. Just a couple episodes ago. And no one is comforting Colin. It's notable. He's by himself in his grief. Well, I I find it important from like a staging standpoint that Carrie goes and gets in his car. And then the two of them are alone of where they were the two people that had a purpose and had a role directly through Logan and no one's there for them. And they're alone in terms of dealing with it. Now they're cut off from everybody else because their connection to this world has now died. Then we see Tom walking across the tarmac. We see Shiv reading something to herself over and over again. This is the statement she's going to give the reporters that are there. I, again, I don't think it's the official statement from the board. This is the family statement. Because the board has to release something, and that will talk about, you know, next steps, leadership. And that's yes. the one where they're, they're, they're fighting about the who sale. will be named, right? Because I think who, like, in those statements, it's so important who is named because they're saying things like, so and so is in control of operations until the board fi- picks a final, you know, person yeah. to replace Logan or whatever, and that that person typically has is in the driver's seat for the next next position. If you, you know, it's kind of like being like at a company. If you if if uh, somebody's fired, let's say a director's fired, and then you become the acting director, 
yeah. while they while they search for a director, you have kind of an insight on the next job, right? You, you want to know two very powerful people we're probably going to find out about in the next two episodes? The acting director of the company and the executor of Logan's estate. Oh, boy. That'll be a that, fun one. Who do you think it's going to be? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She's back from her shopping trip. If, if, if he didn't update the will and it's fucking Marsha, that'd be a hell of a thing. I think it's going to be. I, I bet you he didn't God, think to do be, that. I would love if she's back into the show with that level of power. Wouldn't it be wonderful if she just I, comes back with all of, her, all of her handbags from the shopping? She's like, ah, here we go. I've been shopping for three years and I am ready to dole out money to myself and my son. Marsha's perfect. My fallback was Frank just because they, they, they were friends. He knew him for years. Frank's an attorney. That could work, but... Marsha would be a hell of an interesting choice. Roman asked Kendall if they're going to be okay. And he says, yeah, yeah, we'll be okay. And then they have the brotherly moment where he goes, well, you're not going to be okay. You're not going to be okay. You're, you're fucked. I mean, you're you're completely fucked. fucked. You're so fucked. Very fucked. So fucked. You're just the most fucked. Mm. Shiv walks in. Roman pats her on the back as she walks. She looks like she's been crying as she walks out to the reporters. And she says this statement. I thank you. As you know, my father, Logan Roy, was pronounced dead on arrival at Teterboro Airport this morning. I'd like to thank the press for their respect at this time. You'll understand that I won't be taking any questions. Won't be taking any questions. Will not answer a question. Do not even ask one because she won't answer it. They'll respect that. They're not going to try. But my brothers and I want to say that Logan Roy built a great American family company. And as you know, the board will be convening in the next hours to decide on leadership of the company going forward. Very important. Mm -hmm. This nation has lost a passionate champion and American titan, and we lost a beloved father. I think well, the last sentence is all bullshit, but you know you have to say stuff like that. It's what the world wants to hear, and she delivers it well. She does actually take a question though about her and her brother's roles going forward. She says, "We intend to we intend to shepherd it through, whatever its future may be, but we'll be there. We intend to be there." I think, I think she answers that one well. She should, maybe, maybe, maybe shouldn't have answered any questions. Period. But if that was the one you were going to, if that if it was a question to answer, it was that one. And I think she did okay. All right. You, Spencer, we all know you got tons of money. You've got a whole bunch of Waystar stock. Are you reassured by hearing the kids are going to be involved? Good point. No, not at all. <laughs> That's my point. Is I, <laughs> as much of a shit show as it's been with the kids back and forth and back and forth and all their different like pseudo professions and then they come back into the company and they fail at this and they mess that up. I'm not sure it's a great opti- I don't sure I don't think it helps the stock price to say that the kids are going to be involved. Well, it's notable that once the news once the news is out they go uh, Roman looks at his cell phone as they're walking out of the building. I think it's a second later. Uh That's my it, dropping sound. Isn't that pretty good? That was pretty good, yeah. It, it, uh, I mean it's a moment of just like I think he points at the screen and says that's dad watching that drop and I thought that was a wonderful callback to that scene with um uh Colin and Logan in the diner. Of where he describes people as being like economic units, and in the oh, end, oh, what a good call! I didn't think of that. Yeah, and, go ahead. And even even though he describes himself being a giant, being above everybody else, all he is is just a larger collection of economic units dropping on the screen at his death. Damn, that's a really good callback. You're right because that, that's what that's in essence what Roman is doing, it, kind of facetiously, but that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Roman then um, asks if he should go see him. Shifts says, "I mean, he's not going to get angry if we don't." Uh, then we see the three of them hug together. And I've seen that, that this three of them hugging will when in 50 years, when they're doing an, a two minute shot of this was HBO, when they're finally right. dissolving HBO into real. something, this shot will be there. This is a seminal moment in a, in an anchor show that broke a lot of ground, that got a lot of respect, won a ton of awards for HBO, very successful show for them. And this is the seminal moment. This shot of the three of them hugging. It, it's, it is a great shot. I think it does have a small error, which is interesting because I agree. It's an absolutely powerful what? shot. It's a wonderful shot. 
I think it's a, it's an editing error of oh. where they they do it over two cuts of where they hug and it's great and everything else and then they do another cut to them hugging and Shiv has completely shifted who she's hugging and I think this, that could have perfectly been explained of where she just you know was hugging them both but from an editing perspective it goes from her hugging Kendall no indication of her turning to her hugging Roman and like it's the same shot. And you and you're killing me for exposing that Pedro Pascal isn't the man. How did it feel, you son of a bitch? And George H. W. Bush only had that dog for six months before he died. Damn it, Spencer! To hell with you! I was I just gave you one back. And did you notice how I was building that moment up so much? I was talking about fifty I was years at HBO and all this stuff. And then you're like, "Yeah, actually, they fucked it up." Damn it, Spencer! I didn't pre-plan this, but the moment you were you were hyping it, I was like, "Oh, I've got him! I've got ammunition here!" Ah, you're gonna pull that rug right out from under me. So. Roman says he's going to go see Logan. Kendall says he's going to just watch from there. Then we see Connor and Willa actually get married. So they do get married in front of about five people. And I I love that little moment between them. It's more the wedding that Willa wanted of where it is just, I think her mom's there and maybe the closest friends, whatever else. And they get their wedding. Like, Hey, Connor, weird dude as he is. I think he wins the, wins the episode for the Roy just because he's able to find some measure of happiness for himself and all this. So, Long established on this podcast, you're going to allow me to plan your wedding. This is what you're going to do to me. I know it. I know this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, actually, we only want seven people there. And I'm, I'm going to fucking go crazy because, you know, I want to big, plan a big wedding for you. I mean, this you is what to, you're going to do for me. You have to over-invite. I guess seven will work. <laughs> what do you want? Like the, the, the person doing the thing, me, two other people, the other witnesses, and then I, you. And, I, I, don't want, I don't want the officiate to actually be in the room. He can appear by Zoom. Oh, can they do that legally now? Uh, sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That so we can get sure it depends by depends on state law, but we sure. we could get you married by Zoom. I yeah. I mean, from, from a government perspective, I just need to get the license filled out. Way to undercut my plans. I have all these plans <laughs> for you. Oh, I'll tell you about it later. God, Taylor Swift at the reception? That too much? Too much? Uh yes. Let's She's on tour have right that now. One out there right now. She's that on, would be too much. She's on tour right now. You know, she does a good solid three Are hours. You paying ahead. for that shit? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I was told I was going to get one of those Black American Express cards from you. Yeah, with a very set budget on it. <laughs> so he gets married. Shout out to Connor. He did marry the woman that he loves. him. She doesn't love him, but yeah. he loves her. And we see Shiv and Tom leave together in the same car. And you notice that Shiv does this bullshit thing where she goes, Tom, I need you to come over here. I need you to tell me what happened again. What? It's notable, too, that they hug. Kind well, of. Sort of. He, a little. She ish. puts her... Head Head into his chest, and then she walks away from him. And then she says, Tom, I need you to tell me something, blah, blah, blah. So they they leave in the same car. Prediction. I think they went home together, and I think they slept in the same bed. I think Shiv needed comfort that night. I think that's what they did. Yes, I agree. Strong agree. Okay. We see Roman walking away from the plane, and we end with a shot of Kendall standing there crying, give the man an Emmy right now. Jeremy Strong. It's It's the things he doesn't say. That's the important moments. End of recap. I got to be honest with you. Best, I, I, I'm not trying to rank it because I always go overboard with stuff like that. Just an extremely good episode of television, extremely yeah. good. But I wasn't excited about the recap. I really wasn't. I wasn't excited about doing this because it's super fucking sad. And in order to do the type of podcast that we do, we had to talk about grief and how that impacts things, and throw in a personal story here and there, and our personal thoughts about. It. I had people on Twitter contacting us. Spencer doesn't know anything about this first time he's hearing it. What's saying, Twitter? saying, love the podcast, but I know this one's going to be hard for you guys to do. 
this we got a, that from multiple people. Is, this is a rough damn episode. It is carried by the fact that the writing and the acting on the show is just a, it's a step above what else is out there. It, this, this is television at the top of its game. And it makes it that I can watch almost anything that is sad, that is painful or whatever else. If it is quality crafted and man was this, I could admire the craft even as I'm sobbing. All right. Well, there you go. That's the recap. It's time to move in the best line of the episode. What's the best line of the episode? There's a lot. Can we change, can we change it? Let's not say best. Can we say most important line of the episode? For this one, sure. We'll we'll have a couple funny ones. We got a couple funny ones that are in here too. Oh, yeah, for sure. They they worked in a little humor, but it's, Uh, yeah, let's pick the most important. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll be quick, but uh, Tom's back and forth with Greg on the subject of Greg, of, of Greg, of Greglets and Greggings running about was Leelings. Like, was yeah, that was 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 very was very funny. Uh, you highlighted the line between uh, Connor and uh, Willa's mom on the subject of young people and Scrooge and all that was fascinating to watch them act, interact as peers and also to just to see their warped perspective on the world. Look at all these young people. Uh, one of them, as you said, the mic drop, the gong hit a line of the episode was, Tom, hey, uh, your dad is very sick. He's very, very sick. And it only went more from there of where Frank thinks you should speak to your dad. I can hold the phone. I can hold the phone near him if you like. Why does Frank want that? I guess it's to have a chance, you know. I think it's a, ch- a, a case, in case it's the last chance. Frank, he's not in good shape. He's not in good shape. They're doing chest compressions. I'm not sure he's breathing. And, all of this was just increasingly powerful is the audience itself is realizing that, oh, shit, this isn't fake. This isn't put on. Logan Roy is dying right now. What does this mean? Uh, you highlighted it, but Shiv, honey, broke me. It's like, that, that little Ooh. line between Shiv, Kim, Shivy, between, Shivy, honey, Shivy, honey, right. Um, Shiv going back and forth with Tom is he even alive. I don't know, honey. Are you just being nice to me? Is he gone? Oh, God, these people are acting up a storm. Frank, you highlighted it, but Frank's line to Kendall about, I don't want to bullshit you, Ken, but I think he went. I think he's gone. It's just capstone on some great lines coming from that plane. Connor, oh, man, he never even liked me. Followed up by him trying to reassure his siblings, but I, I just never got the chance to make him proud of me. Uh, funnier one, a couple ones, but judging by your grin, it looks like she caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium from Tom is a killer, followed up by... Uh, Carl saying chuckles, describing her, uh, Carrie as chuckles the clown, uh, silencing the room line from Frank about, um, I'm trying to do my job. He's like 12 feet away from me and I knew him for 40 years. We're not pulling anything here. It's great. Well done. Uh, Kendall's whole speech to his siblings about what they need to be doing, ending with, and so what we do today will always be what we did on the day our father died. Um, Connor's whole series of lines to Willa about discussing that I'm scared that you'll I'm scared that you leave and I'm worried that you're just marrying me for my money and Willa's response to it was all excellently performed. I didn't think we'd be getting any of that this episode. So the fact they got that in there too is just God, you're throwing us to the rafters with quality scenes. Uh, and then just ending on a funnier one, but we'll be okay. We'll get people. We'll get a funeral off the rack. We can do Reagan's with tweaks. I needed that because I, I, mean, I also got the entire speech is summarized from each of the kids in terms of processing the death of their dad and Shiv's speech. And I don't want those to win. They're too sad. So here's what the, I do know about this show is they showed us what grief looks like and what pain comes with grief. Right. And, and, and especially when somebody drops over dead kind of suddenly. 
I also know they have seven episodes left. I also know the show is not above making every joke in the book. We're going to get so many jokes about Logan being dead. Oh God. They're going to, they're, they're going to come oh to terms with their God. grief by roasting his corpse. They're Irish wake for the next seven episodes. The fucking funeral is going to be hilarious because they, they know that they, they punched us in the gut with this episode. They know it. And so they're going to have a funeral episode and that funeral is going to be fucking funny is my prediction. I wouldn't put past one of them to hire people to show up. Like, you know, Roman has Roman has you know dwarves, little people actually singing "Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead" around the around the coffin kind of shit. I don't know what they're capable of. Okay, all right. Well, best song uh, of the episode. You have any more? Uh, I, I don't think this one should win, but as you highlighted for me, I danced through a fucking thunderstorm without getting us wet. Will be on my business card. That's 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 the one they gave you. That was a personal favor to you, a professional favor. As established, Spencer would be working during all of this. Absolutely. Getting us all getting us all through a thunderstorm without getting wet. Best line of the episode. Nay, most important line of the episode is Oh man, he never even liked me. Oh, hey, God. I'm so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't even know what I, I don't even know what I mean. He did, he did. I just I just never got the chance to make him proud of me. Powerful shit right there. Oh man, he never even liked me. That's the first thing he said when he heard his father was dead. Oh man, he never even liked me. Mm-hmm. Tough. Okay. Let's go to Roy of the episode. Uh, well, I think the loser of the episode is probably Logan. He's dead. And from his perspective, he's either rotting and the worms are eating him or he's going to hell. So neither of those are great. So I think, I think Logan thought nothing was going to happen. And I think not, probably nothing's I, happened for Logan. He's, he's just gone. Yeah, Logan's gone, but he's left behind a world of chaos that he didn't, that he could have taken active steps to manage or prevent. And, but he was incapable of planning for anything other than him being in power. Yeah. He could not imagine a world without him in it. That's a good way to put it. Okay. He's definitely a loser. He's uh, really, he's really fucking delayed. In, in terms of <laughs> God, in terms of winners. Uh, I mean, I think we, I think each of them has their own kind of way of looking at it, or at least just who holds through the strongest. We gave Tom a lot of credit that he was managing that conversation in that plane. And like a, freaking champ though i think he I, he's struggling with a lot of what he's going through just because his position is legitimately undermined wherever things go from here uh kendall was trying to be both the big brother and the professional adult and doing pretty damn well at it at various moments connor gets his damn wedding is connor the winner just because he, he's able to he's able to express honestly how he feels and then still go through with getting a wedding of a woman he loves well, I'm and not God. Emperor. I'm not him. God Emperor. This segment, you can. Pick, you, I mean, you pick. You kind of pick who you think. I, I, I'm going to go with Connor. I think Connor is able to get the most out of this episode and end on the highest point of all of them. Okay. I can't pick Connor because he's marrying a woman who doesn't love him. And and yep. the number the number one yep. thing I would tell Connor this entire series is you have got to leave Willa. You need to be with. You deserve to be everyone. Right. Everyone on this planet, in my opinion, deserves to be with someone who loves them. Not just that you love, that loves them. That's an important aspect of it. I think he's screwing up by wanting to marry the woman who is the prettiest, who is the hottest, who's the most exciting, who is the the one he loves the most as opposed to finding somebody, finding that right balance of somebody who also loves him. I'm never going to give somebody Roy the episode for marrying somebody who doesn't love him. I will agree with everything you just said and also say I think they're the healthiest relationship on the show. Well, because at least they're honest. I think they're honest. Unlike the way anybody else on this show is. And I think that is a powerful thing we saw highlighted in this episode. 
I agree with you. They they are because they're honest, but they're be but that, and they understand within each that, other. But within that honesty, man's marrying somebody who doesn't love him. That's not a great thing for him, and it's not going to work out great long term. Many Americans My have found a way to be happy despite that for years. <laughs> No, uh-uh, I won't let that stand. You just, you're, you're just, you just, you just insinuated that it's like totally cool to marry somebody who doesn't love you because pe- other people have done it before and like they got, they've gotten uh, away you're, with you're, it. You're, you're indicating it as a deal breaker. I'm saying that's not necessarily the case. Okay. I think it should be. You should, you should marry somebody. I, I'm not breaking new ground here. You should marry somebody who loves you. Holy shit. Like, that I, is what, a very, I, what the fuck? That's a, that's a relatively new thought. How the fuck are you lawyering me out of this? Like, marry some, <laughs> marry somebody who loves you. I, I don't know. I thought that was a pretty germane, like, uh, like, uh, not that, not that ridiculous of, uh, advice there. But okay. All right. Point taken. Yeah. That is true. For a very long time, people just married whoever your parents told you to marry. So, and they made that work. Got that point. I did watch Last Kingdom. I, I, I don't know I, if you, I, I don't know if I've mentioned I, I, that before. I, I, I watched a lot of Last Kingdom. I'm also fully accepting you're no, no way breaking ground about the way things should be. This is just a nightmarish <laughs> show for relationships. Because let me explain to you. See, the Danes came over. They and did. They, they, they did. fought and the Wessex. You called them correctly. And, you didn't call them yeah. Vikings. You called them Danes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm kind of kind of a big deal. Uh, I know a lot about the Last Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do a Tell lot. Tell me about Alfred the Great. It is funny to me how, like, I do so much talking about shows that we don't cover. I get people telling me on Twitter all the time, like, I, love I, I watched, I, I loved, I loved, um, Yellow Jackets because you went yeah. on and on about it for like three episodes. God, I've seen so many, seen so many <laughs> ads for that show since you talked about it. Very compelling season one. Okay. Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. I'm done here. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to listen to your relationship advice of the episode. Uh, three quick things. We've been going long for a lot of these episodes, and this one's no exception. Um, one credit just to the show. The show's portrayal of grief involving a death in the family was probably the best I've ever seen in television. Agreed. It, it was incredible on every individual personal level, and that's what made it so well done. It's not just, this is a sad thing, let's show a sad thing to the audience and let's let them process the grief. We got to see it compellingly and effectively done through the characters themselves. Better than I've ever seen it done before and made it feel so much more real and so much more personally connected to me than any other way they could have done this. So hats off to them from just a, a, you know, portraying relationships perspective on on the show. Uh, Completely agree. Uh, in terms of actual advice, um, this is a rather morbid thought for people to think of with respect to their relationships. But one of the best things you can do for your family. Figure out where the pets are going to go. Is have a succession plan. Is have it worked out where your pets are going to go, who's going to get your shit, who's going to run your estate, who's going to make medical decisions when you're incapacitated. Get all that worked out. Now, save some money and, like, you know, buy life insurance or put some money aside for your funeral or anything else. Just so your family that's already dealing with all of the worst moments possibly of their lives and dealing with your death and your demise don't have to deal with all of the confusion and complexity and shit that can result from these things not being written down and prepared. I know a lot of people that don't like to do it. They don't like to pay the money. They don't like to write it down themselves. It's morbid. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to plan for it because it's not something they want to make part of their day-to-day life. But it will be part of someone's life even if you're not there for it. So take the steps, take the time, and get these things written out and prepared. It's a burden in the moment, but it will save a lot of pain for your family later. So that's a more of a harsh relationship advice, really. But it's one I do not just as a lawyer, but just as a person who's seen it in the real world strongly recommend that everybody have those kinds of things arranged and prepared. 
And if you think he's really just plugging the legal profession, that type of work is so below Spencer. You don't even know. Like he, if you, you want him to like draft a will for you, he would send you to someone else. So he's not, it has nothing to do with his profession. I think I actually literally did that with you, didn't I? Yeah. I t- mentioned something about a will. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that for you. I, I, do, I do way more important <laughs> at, things. At, would you agree though? Sound advice for everyone to goddamn do and also keep updated over time as well. I've got a will. I'm 37. I've got a will. I never, I never get on a plane without telling my friends where my pets are. If my pets are, if, if my pets are going to a particular, uh, boarding place, right? If they're not mm-hmm. with someone I know, then I tell a friend, I have a designated survivor, a friend who, who goes, who knows where the pets are so they can go get them if the plane goes down or something. Also, at least in your safety deposit box or tell your spouse or most significant other, write down all of your accounts and your passwords. Cause man, is that getting complicated in this day and age? <laughs> I don't know about writing them down. That that might be a security risk. I'll say this. Um, pet pet succession planning. Where are your pets going? Let's, estab- let's establish where your pets are going right now. Where, where uh, are they going? Who, who, you, and your, you and your girlfriend break up. Let's do that one first. Uh, if, we're, if we're breaking up, we've previously agreed and discussed this. I get the rabbit. She gets the dog. Just based on level of affection the two animals have for each other. You've each always other. hated the dog. That makes perfect sense to me. I completely agree with this one interpretation plan. of that statement. Yes. Yeah, you, absolutely. You, you, your two cats, you loves, loves your life. Have, have you guys worked it out? Cats come to me. Dog goes to her. We've already worked it out. Gotcha. Figured. Yeah. All right. This has been a... Uh, last joke one. Oh, all right. Let me back. Let me back up. Uh, also, pick your loony cake in advance, just for those kind of emotional kind of moments, so people can know in default of what dessert to bring you. Let people know, just so just, just so you, know, you don't get stuck stuck with some kind of bun cake. Yeah, I'm a big. I I, I like the non traditional stuff. I'm telling you that that wedding that you're never going to have that I'm going to be able to plan. Cookies. I just think it's a wonderful idea to have non traditional things. That was a genius thought. You keep that in mind. I think okay. it's a great call. Putting that side pocket. For mm-hmm. All right, man. This has been something. We did something here. We did for three three ish hours. Did you have fun? I in, I mm. enjoyed talking about it with you. It, it makes me appreciate the episode all the more in terms of unpacking it. Like this. okay, well, we got through it. I think that I think we're gonna have some more. We're gonna have some fun episodes later where we get to get to laugh and joke about who. Who should be the next head of Waystar Royco or ATN or Gojo or what the fuck ever? If I have to assume going forward, I don't think we're done with tragedy quite yet. Or at least uh, we'll get some moments of levity, but there will be tragedy to come. Really? What do you think is going to happen? I think people. I, I think there may be deaths and failures and all kinds of shit before the end of this particular run. Oh, I think they're going to work out an absolutely reasonable power structure between the three of them, Jar- Carl, Jerry... Um, and Frank and the, the company's going to be super successful and everybody's going to end, end happy and, and, and are, fine. Are, are you suggesting that assuming DeSantis lets them, lets them they're going to end this show with all of them just riding the monorail together at Disney? DeSantis won't let them. He'll have he'll have carved <laughs> out his own individual governing district that Wake Our, Waystar Royco can operate in. He'll there take it go. over the he'll take over the parks. All right, man. We at least we end on somewhat of a funny note. This was a heck of an episode. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm interested to hear your feedback. Thanks, uh, thanks, thanks everybody for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Um, this, this little plucky podcast we do about succession has ended up to be, I think, our most popular podcast we do across Mangum Talks. So we thanks, thank you for listening. We love to hear your thoughts. Go to MangumTalks.com, upper right-hand corner, click contact us, let us know what you think. Go to MangumTalks.com um, or Facebook.com slash MangumTalks or on Twitter at MangumTalks. All of those different ways. You can give us your feedback. You can also rate and review us and give us your feedback on whatever podcast platform you're using. 
Uh, see a lot of feedback on the Apple podcast platform. If you listen through Apple, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. We really like it. It's motivating for us. We like to hear that you are listening, that you're enjoying it. I like to hear your takes on stuff. And we, a lot of times we'll bring that to the podcast and discuss it. So thanks everybody for listening to a, a heck of an episode, an emotional wallop, Damn hanging in there with us for two hours and 45 minutes. Hope you all have a great week. We'll be back with you next week. See you.